previously on Potterfic Weekly. And welcome back to Potterfic Weekly. This is Ryan. I enjoy long walks on the beach. Hello, I'm Jen. I'm Jen. <laughs> My name is Jen. I didn't want to tell you, but I wrote a smut about you. <laughs> I'm like feeling very... <sighs> Distressed. Lady Chi here. <laughs> I'm not made of stone. I have cats that I am throwing away. Anna is in the house. I'm a hat rack. And I'm Keza. Hello. We all use the shower to wash ourselves. <laughs> I'm P.S. I don't know where I thought the food came from, but I never thought that there were still arms. Mike. It's him. It's him. It's him. Mike, you never say I'm Mike. You're going to invest, invest in Canadian or Russian shipping. All of the ice is going to melt in northern Canada, and it's going to open up new shipping lanes. If northern Canada melts, would that not flood the world and kill us all? These are really stupid people. Like, I have a lot to learn from these people. Boys and I girls, <laughs> there's a thing called erectile dysfunction. Oh my god. Yeah, but there's also a thing called Petrificus Totalis. So Perfect right. Weekly, not only entertaining, but educational as well. <laughs> Who wants to see Hermione as a trial lawyer? As a tribal warrior? <laughs> I was born without wisdom teeth because I'm a higher state of human development. Hold on, you are the future of mankind. I've been here the whole time, but I can't remember what was just said. <laughs> oh, Vicodin. I love Hello. the fact that she's Australian. The art. This is a momentous moment. And you're mocking my accent. My mother-in-law is evil. She got a cat. I'm very, very allergic to cats. And my mother-in-law <laughs> is evil. And she knows this. And she got a damn cat. How many virgins can successfully ravage anybody? He's Harry Potter. Come on. He's a skinny, <laughs> awkward kid who we think has ED. No, no, no. We don't think that. You think that. Poor Bernard was struck and killed by a bolt of lightning. <laughs> okay, you guys are the ones who obviously laugh during people's funerals. I wore a really big hat. Why is it always me? Why is it never cheese? You never talk about cheese breasts. P.S.'s breasts are a fixture of Perfect Weekly. I ship Harry Ginny. I write Harry Ginny. I read Harry Ginny. Snape and Harry, not really my thing. Putting aside the question of sexual orientation. On Saturday, September 13th at 11.21 p.m., I fell so madly in love you won't even believe it with Harry Ginny. I think I just peed my pants. Please say that again. I felt something click inside of me and the second half of my life began. She really does love them. I got into a fight with a pit bull. I was hitting it over the head with a lawnmower once. And it ripped my pants off. See, you're <laughs> in your underwear whacking dogs with a lawnmower. Sorry, I'm so sorry. Oh, come here, I'm so sorry. Come here. <laughs> I just I just kicked my dog in the head. This is like the Manhattan Project. I peeled my whole fingernail off once when I was a child. First time I ever learned what an erection was. Seriously, I remember this very distinctly. Harry is both a spy and a department head. George shot Justin a significant glance. From a memory charm and everyone in the room. <laughs> Shalom. You have reached Puffwa's resident Jew. She has like a whole sound system. I don't have a sound system. Hold on. <laughs> she sounds a little aggravated. Are you a little creaky? For <laughs> God, fine. If you ever, ever, ever make me cover a story with butt sex babies, I will kill you. Neither can live while the other survives. What does that mean? How does that mean what is to kill the other? And Jen's like, yeah, I like looking at female butts more too. <laughs> so what? Women are beautiful. Doesn't make me gay. You thought Why Jen got pregnant on a boat? I've realized in this podcast that Ryan just lies to me nonstop. And now, Butterfield. So we have WERS Radio, which is Emerson College Radio. 
uh, here in the Boston area. And they totally, this is, there's this children's program called The Playground. It's on in the afternoon, Saturdays and Sundays. And they played that song, Honest to God. I almost jumped out of my seat. Peanut song? The Peanut song. It's got really? verses. Do you know it has verses? No, really? No. It does. Because <laughs> then they're like, a cashew sat on a railway track. And I was like, a cashew? And they're like, cashew butter. And I'm like, what? <laughs> okay. And then they got to the end of it and they're like, an apple sat on a railroad track. That doesn't Some make any butter. sense. The number 10 came round the bed and toot toot peanut uh, apple sauce. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were going to go for apple butter and they didn't do it. You know? That is too Crazy. funny. And well, I was just like, oh my butter. God. Apple butter actually exists. Cashew it does, butter yeah. does not I make exist. It. Well, I love apple Cashew butter. butter I just, I'm, I'm floored about the song. Yeah, yeah really? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking it was a Keza thing. No. I thought it was just an Australian thing. In the U.S. of A., I tell you. Wow. We learn like, something new every day. Even, I can't even imagine it without, like, an Australian accent. I know. That's my thing is. Me too. <laughs> I've got it in my head, you know, Kessa style. Peanut sat on a railway track. Top sole of the Train came rolling down the track. Toot toot peanut butter. <laughs> and then the I, 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 I can't do it because Kessa would kill me. I like I can't do I can't do a Kessa impression. Yeah, I can't I, do anything. Don't look at me. On a railway track. Oh, peanut stuff on a railway track. That is so far from Australian. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> oh, well, we've seen me screw up British, too, so I just can't do that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's Jewish, Northeastern. Yeah, well, according to PS, that's mafia. You do. They have you, a mafia accent. You said, Mike, say use guys. Um... Such disrespect. These guys, what's you looking at? What are you looking at? <laughs> you do. I expect him. He sounds like he's got a breadstick in one hand and a bowl of marinara in the other. <laughs> sounds kind of good. <laughs> it does, wow. doesn't it? I never thought I had intelligence. I'm Jen too. I'm P.S. This is Omni. This is Ray. Because Ryan and she are gone in a very scary fashion. 
I am now initiating this podcast and leading it. And I think this podcast will be a really interesting one for us for a couple of reasons. We have a very controversial stuff in this chapter, particularly involving Hermione, which I think we'll get lots of emotion on. This out of the whole series, the segment we're doing tonight is actually my favorite, leaving aside the Hermione bit, just because there's so much interesting stuff to wrap your mind around. And we have half Slytherin, half Gravenclaw tonight. And I'm really, I know personally, I can't speak for anyone else. I'm really glad Gen 2's here. I've been looking forward to Gen 2 coming on this for weeks. <laughs> because I, I know this is something very different for her, the sort of thing she would never normally she, unless I, I, I could be wrong, but I think this is the sort of thing Gen 2 would never read on her own. And it's a total new experience. And I have a feeling she may not be as gung-ho as, like, me and Omli are. But I think also it'll be a really good, different perspective. Because we've been so positive, I think, on the most part, for the first couple of episodes. And I think, not that Gen 2's going to be negative, but that I think she'll provide sort of the Ravenclaw view to this. Well, to start out with, I will say that I'm trying to think. At one point... Somebody had wrecked this fic, and I opened it up, and I don't think I made it past the first thousand words. And then I'm like, I'm not reading that fic. I just, too implausible. Uh, it, whoa, you know, just like, it hit all my bad buttons, you know. So, when I knew I had a podcast on this, I knew that I don't ever do anything halfway. So, I knew that I couldn't just read the chapters I was supposed to read. I needed to read everything up to that. So then I was cursing myself for not having podcasted on an earlier version episode. So I literally had to force feed myself this fic for about three quarters of the way through year one. And then somehow it became readable. I don't know why. I just wasn't having to choke it down anymore. You know, like hold my nose and choke it down. Well, I think there's a point where it gets better, where it just... I mean, I know at the beginning it is rather boring because it's so similar to canon because there's not much you can do with, say, with first year. I mean, it's like, okay, they go to Hogwarts and they have a sorting and they have flying lessons and he plays Quidditch you know, and I, there's a troll in the dungeons. You know, I mean, it's, right. it's not much you can do, so it's boring. I think what happened is I had to read and comment, you know, in my notes through all the things that were bothering me. And once I had acknowledged each one of those points, I was able to switch it off in my mind. I guess that, you know, it wasn't. The certain mindset, I think, going in, where we have to accept a certain mindset, you know, it, it takes a very, we've been saying this in the first two podcasts, but it's not just, this is what Ryan saying, it's not just sort of canon told where Harry happens to be in Slytherin, but he's still, you know, best friends with Ron and Hermione and unchanged Harry from canon. This is very much the premise is, this is the premise, I'm not saying you have to agree with uh, this, but that canon has Gryffindor glasses, and you're taking off the Gryffindor glasses, and you're putting on Slytherin glasses, so everything's from a Slytherin perspective, and the Slytherins are all good, and the non-Slytherins are all kind of bad. I think that's the point I had to get to, was I had to, to take off, I don't even know if it's Gryffindor glasses, Mike, I think, I think it, it's canon glasses. It's canon glasses, because it wasn't just the Gryffindor parts, you know, the the change of the Gryffindor characters or their mindsets that, that bothered me. It was everything was so different. And you're right. It probably is through the eyes wearing green glasses, but alternate universe fix that I've read. Sometimes they're really great stories and they're really bad for being on character. So in my mind, I almost have to click off a switch and say, okay, that's not really Harry. That's Steve. 
<laughs> you know, this isn't Hermione, that's Jill. Marianne, you know. And then when I'm able to click in my mind that these people aren't really who I fell in love with with the canon, then I can read the story. Because I'm not all the time in my mind trying to justify why Harry, you know, went and did something completely out of character. So I I had to... It was painful, but I finally got to the point where it, it was I was being able to read it. And then now I really want to know what the hell is going to happen, so I'm going to have to read the rest <laughs> of the damn thing. <laughs> it was interesting that you said that, too, because it reminded me of what Ryan was saying, sort of a similar sort of thing, where I think maybe this is the difference between, and Ray and Amla can chime in, between, I guess, the Slytherins who read this and the non-Slytherins, that the non-Slytherins, they all say, they come to this point where they have to go, okay, to accept this story, I have to say, this isn't the Harry I know. This is totally different. And once I accept that, I can read it and enjoy it. Whereas, at least with me and maybe Omni and Ray can see if they agree with me, to me, it wasn't so much that they're different characters as, oh, this is a different facet to these characters. This was sort of, in part, to a certain extent, part of the story I would have liked to have seen in canon. I would have liked to have seen what the Slytherins thought of the Gryffindors. I would have liked... If Harry had been raised in Slytherin, is this what he would have turned out as? Maybe. I don't know. I, I do think, too, that the Slytherins in this don't come off as good guys at all. I mean, they do a lot of things, even with the Slytherin bias, that I think we can all go like, oh, my God, what are they doing? Like with last episode with Hagrid or um, plenty of you things. You know, and like- I think that's another thing that has floored me a little bit about this in reading it is obviously the Gryffindors are coming off as, you know, complete pricks and ron weasley is coming off as you know to me it's almost like the draco and ron roles are flipped well they are yeah he's he's written it purposely that they are but you know i didn't expect for these kids to be so smart assed you know it's like <laughs> I, I didn't expect them to be so catty and whiny and you know what i wonder privileged, privileged and feeling like they were entitled and you know that all those things that we didn't like about Draco and canon. I think that Draco was redeemable in canon, and I never really thought that he was all that bad. But it's like now, it's like I want to strangle the kid. It's like if the teenager was in my house, I would just smack him. I'm like, you little hey Jen, prick. I have a question. Mm-hmm. I, I, there isn't a right or a wrong answer here, obviously. But when you pictured these characters in canon, what did you think that an 11-year-old Draco would be like? Like, that's not, like, an accusatory thing. I'm just, I'm no, sort of curious. I, because, I, 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 mean, I don't know. Do you think he wouldn't feel privileged? I mean, like, I sort of would. No, I that. think that he would, fe- I think he would feel privileged. I think that what I'm saying is by reading it from the Slytherin viewpoint, I didn't expect them to be so mean. I think, what, I think just- maybe, are you saying you're surprised that this Slytherin, like, centric fic is still portraying him as a brat? Because usually when I think of, like, yeah, exactly. Slytherin centric stories in a vacuum, I always think that they're going to portray Draco as good. Exactly. Yeah, you're yeah, like, exactly. like, you're like another. You know, like, that's the first yeah. thing I think of. That's exactly what I mean. That's exactly it, P.S., is I expected for them to not act like brats because they're seeing each other through each other's eyes, not through... I think the strength of this fic, though, in that, to a certain extent, what he's trying to do is, they're all still racist. I mean, they're racist in canon, they're racist in this fic, and I guess he's not trying to... like They are, I guess, a little bit more sympathetic than in canon, but he's not trying to make them unrealistic. Draco still is a privileged, stuck-up kid. He just happens to be friends with Harry. They're all still pure-bloodists and hate muggle-borns. 
Oh uh, yeah, I think that that yeah. that's that's a good thing about this fic. I agree. It does that. it does portray them as brats, and it doesn't glorify the racism. I wonder too. I, something Jen said made this pop into my head, and I hadn't thought of this before. But I wonder too if something of the tone might be because of how the kids interact with each other. It might be because it's a guy writing this story instead of a girl writing the story. And I could be totally off base here, but I think about how they interact, and it reminds me a lot of how guys, myself personally growing up, guys interact with each other, sort of more aggressive kind of bantering, like less, I, I, I don't know if I'm describing it well, but it I almost think. Right. It might yeah. Because yeah. yeah. we're I mean, not getting. I, I wouldn't know. A, like, <laughs> sorry, yes. No, no, it's okay. I was just saying, it doesn't really, hmm, I'm, I'm trying to think about whether this really accurately like represents a group of co-ed friends at this age. See, that's what I, that's, I wasn't sure about that, but then again, I have to remember that compared to you all, I'm kind of old. <laughs> so it's been a while since I was, you know, 12 or 11 or 12 or 13 years old. It just, it seemed like they were really ahead of the times, but then yeah, again, think, you know, I'm not. I think they are. I think that, um. Parenting a teenager, the, so the I don't know. The kids seem, the, I think the kids do seem older than 11. Part of it is I think they've been having, I think we talked about it with their magical knowledge is certainly more advanced than it was in canon. And uh, the argument the fic puts forward is that it's because they all had these tutors over the summer and over... That's exactly what I was going to say, Mike, is I think he tried to write the excuse for that in by them being so well-educated prior to attending Hogwarts. Mm -hmm. So like an upper class. Yeah. And I mean, there's two aspects to this, them seeming older. I mean, there's the aspect of their magical abilities, but then there's just the personality. Yeah, I think it's more the personality. Yeah, in terms of, let's make the argument, well, that's what we saw in canon, too. We saw all these children that are 11-year-olds, and they're not behaving like 11-year-olds, you know? And see, again, I think that's a detriment to people because Joe didn't write, these teenagers in her story, the way that teenagers really act. Yeah, yeah, they, <laughs> teenagers don't act like that, yeah. So when you read a story that's been written trying to be realistic to how teenagers behave, and then you try to compare it to canon, it, it's like trying to mix oil and water. You know, you've got, it's almost like right and left, you know, somewhere it's got to meet in the middle. And when you're used to, you know, Harry being very prim and Hermione telling Ron language when, you know, all he says is bloody. It's, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it really is no comparison. You know, and that was one of my problems with canon was that even though it was brilliant, it, it just wasn't very realistic. I didn't, you know, there were no hormones. And there were no, no hormones at 14, at the end of 14, yeah. You know, there are no hormones and no major teenage drama angst other than the normal drama and angst that was there. But, you know, I expected to to see more as they got older, and, and you just didn't because it was so story-centered. But And again, with this being written by a guy, there's a, you know, the story doesn't have a lot of, what should I say it, Keza and Gen 2 waffling, you know, there's not all about the, the glistening candlesticks and the and the deep feelings. <laughs> 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 but, you know, I could take his 5,000-word chapter and turn it into 10. You know, you the rug on the... The rug on the floor was slightly frayed as as Harry looked down to the toe of his trainer and kicked it before he 
answered. Yeah, well, I think that's another thing. I mean, that's that's a guy thing. Like, I think it's this bare-bones action dialogue-oriented writing that doesn't have a lot of thoughts, that doesn't have a lot of description. Really? Because I felt that was a science-minded thing, because I know I write like that by instinct. It's very terse. It's very succinct. You know, you just say what you need to as succinctly as you can. Yeah, and for those who don't know, Death Thrill's a chemist. Is he really? Yeah. Yep. I don't but, know that, that that's even a then. science thing, though. I, I, I almost I think I, I think it's a guy thing, and I think the science, the field of science, is so guy dominated. Amelie, you probably learned to write like that from a male professor, so you know, I think that's what it is. Well, it's very right brain too. It's when when you've got the math and the science. How should I say this? When you know you're very focused on math and science, you tend not to think that way and verbally, I guess. That's coming out bad. Between yeah, right brain and left brain people, that's a fundamental difference in the way that people observe and that they think. They may see the same thing and it registers in their brain the same way, but I'm going to describe that painting completely different than Omni might. So, well, I think I'm a right brain person, but I still think I, I don't know what I am because I can flip back and forth. And then let's see what other things that I was thinking of before we get to the chapters that kind of. Oh, here. Here's a perfect... I should have just said this to be, to begin with, Omni. We're talking about Draco. One of my notes is, at least Death Row has one thing right. Draco's still a cocky, arrogant bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Post your notes, Jen. Post, oh, if you can, I, I would love to read them. I didn't get many, you know, just all my notes for the chapters are highlighted on the chapters, so ah, I didn't get many written, but here are my overall feelings from reading all the way up to chapter 10 of the second story. So do you guys want to jump into the chapters now? Sure, Ryan, we can jump into the chapters. Awesome. Oh. So we start, we, I guess, where we left off last time, if I remember, correct me if I get this wrong, we're in chapter 10 of year two now, and this is right when we start off right with... Uh, Draco being beat like a piñata, right? Oh, I thought that Goyle wouldn't know what a piñata is either. That's exactly what I thought. Uh, wizards don't have piñatas. And that's very Hispanic. <laughs> well, maybe yeah. it's... Well, the thing is, too, is you see... Um, I'm going to say, because in these chapters, although it's not where we're starting right now, so guilty, but you see Crab and Goyle actually surprise you a lot on the on that front. Yeah, chapters. they actually had brains and minds. That was really Yeah, I mean, they grasp. don't use them all the time, but they do, they can think. They're more than just a muscle. And what Thoughts the, on that? What I found interesting about the fight in this chapter is you don't find out until, well, two things you don't find out until the end of the story when you have those missing scenes. You don't find out first that it's Ginny sort of instigates it and that it's Voldemort through Ginny that instigates it. So, because I wonder too, like when people like Jim to read this, do they go, "Oh my God, the Weasley twins would never do something like this," which I'm not I sure. Had to, I had to drop all that. You, you, know, had, you were dropped it by then. Yeah, I had to. By the time I got to our chapters for tonight, I was I was into the fic. Mm -hmm. But all of the Weasleys, I almost had to just forget that I knew anything about them, other than what was being written. Just like you did. When you read canon, you know, we didn't know anything about Crab or Goyle. All we knew that they were henchmen. So I just had to forget anything that I had ever heard, seen, read, or felt about any of the Weasleys and set it aside. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise I couldn't, you know, they didn't meld in my brain. Yeah, the Weasley stuff was 
one of the like it's I one of the things I just couldn't get around. Like it's one thing to think, well, okay, this is like the canon. I don't know, like pansy because we never you know see pansy in the canon. But the portrayal of the Weasleys really bothered me. We never yeah, find out what they take. do exactly, though, do we? Is it just like a prank that goes? We don't know whether it's like a Fred and George prank going bad, which you could easily see happening because it happens in canon too, or whether like the Slytherins assume that there's. Like, you know, that they intended to kill Draco. They just all jumped to that conclusion. But there's no real evidence of what – we don't know what they actually were trying to do or what they even did. No, we we don't. But we also know that it took three or four days of Draco being unconscious, too. So they're wizards, you know. They can just go heal their bones overnight. So something – he had to get roughed up pretty bad. Yeah. Well, I guess we're like, we, I, I wonder – maybe we can ask Death when he comes in – whether – I think even Deathrill's twins, their intentions weren't, they weren't trying to kill Draco, I think, or permanently hurt him. I think they were trying to, like, I don't know, teach him a lesson in quotes I'm doing. And, and it kind of, things got out of hand and blew up on them. I don't right. know if anyone else had that interpretation. Yeah, I just, we didn't get anything about the twins other than, you know, what they had physically done. Yeah. So we, we have no insight into how they were thinking or, you if know, they they're were- just, they're just, you know, background noise. Yeah. So I had to put that aside. Let's see. Uh, anyone else have any comments in that early chapter? Um, just in that when, even before you get to the point where uh, Draco is in the fight, his sort of general treatment of the Weasleys, mm. I feel, is so, I mean, it's arrogant, but it's over-the-top arrogant. It's like, it's not just like, we're going to make black-white sort of thing where we're like, look, the Gryffindors are completely asses and no, no. We definitely see that Draco is complete ass, and he is more than asking for it in terms of he knows better, and he does it anyway. Yeah, with know? the Percy thing you're talking about, where he, like, yeah. salts yep. Percy. Because, because he's treating all the Weasleys this way. And he's, yeah. he's doing it to Harry. I mean, not Harry. He's doing it to Ron. He's doing it to the twins, although not so much right here. And he's doing it to Percy. It's sort of this across he's the board. he's doing it to Ginny. Yeah, it, was right. the, it was the Jenny, the bit with Jenny in the hospital wing mm-hmm. that really rubbed me the wrong way. Like, I mean, I just wanted to smack Draco and Harry. I kind of like that scene. <laughs> you know, maybe I should bring this up before we get heavy into the chapters, because it was something that was on my mind a lot while I was reading this. Part of it is because half the time Harry is so Hufflepuffish that it was hard for me to take. And then the other half of him was just a complete raging bastard. I wasn't sure where all those things were coming from. He's not the... I wasn't prepared to throw away the Harry that I knew or the Harry that I believed how he would act after coming from the, the Dursleys. And so a lot of the stuff in the chapters tonight that we're talking about, you know, it hit me really different because... Of his sense of entitlement and his arrogance, all the things in canon that, you know, he was so worried about his dad making fun of Snape and being arrogant and cheeky all the time. It just wasn't the Harry that I thought he would be, even if he was in Slytherin. You know, cause half the time he's, he's nice and he's got a conscience that he's thinking about, you know, what Draco's doing and, and how they're treating other people. And then the other half of the time he, you know, he's grounding them out with the bottom of his shoe. So. Uh, well, I guess. Here's my thoughts on that. I, I, I actually don't think he's ever a complete bastard in this. And by what that I mean is he does, I think, tons of bastardish things, but I don't think in his mind. Well, let me start over, actually. I guess what I'm getting at, and this is 
Deathrow can disagree with me, but this is just the impression I've had, too, from talking to him, and maybe the other Slytherins can agree with me or disagree with me, that the premise of this sort of is that Harry's this blank slate, and that who he becomes in terms of in canon is because of the people around him, because of Ron, Hermione, Sirius later, and on and on, and that his overwhelming goal or desire at the start of the series is to kind of belong and have friends. And as a result, he's really vulnerable to peer pressure. And that's kind of what goes on through this is that, you know, I I don't think Harry realizes he's being arrogant, just like he doesn't realize, except for a few flashes, like when the later on, when the pure or pure blood half blood thing comes up, like Mm -hmm. he doesn't realize that, you know, he's spouting all of this pure blood stuff, but he himself is in the pure blood. And it's kind of, it seems. No, I think, but I thought he did. Yeah, I don't I think he consciously that... thinks about it. You know what I mean? Like, I think in his day-to-day life, like, he's bringing up all this blood purity stuff, but he's not sitting down and having this conversation. Like, he's still, like, like in the start of three, to jump ahead, he still cares about his mother and father, and he's not sitting down to think about, well, on the one hand, I sort of accept all these slithered prejudices about purebloods and muggle-borns, but then look at my own mother. Like, he hasn't sort of reasoned that out. Yes, that that is that is entirely possible. That happens with it happens every day. That happens with racist people. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying is that I think a lot of this is the Slytherins rubbing off on him and him trying to fit in with the Slytherins and belong. Like what he does to Ginny, that's kind of like him trying to make Draco happy almost. Or like him trying to make his friends happy and try to belong in that house mentality. And it's illogical. Some of it is illogical. And his friends act illogical. Like same thing, you know. Draco Malfoy and all these Slytherin purebloods, in theory, if they sat down and thought it out, should look down on Harry, who has a quote mudblood mother. But you know, they don't. I think I, I had to. I think I had to swallow that a bit too, and and wonder, think about it from, I guess, you know, the the Slytherin point of view is that knowing Harry Potter would be good for them. Yeah, that's for being blind with him would be good for him. Well, part we of it too. That I think, last week, I think yeah. that, that the fact that he's Harry Potter is more valuable to them than the fact that he's a half-blood. But from Harry's perspective, I think that sometimes these sorts of prejudices and these sorts, they can be totally illogical. That you can think that, like, I'm sure Harry thinks he's a good person, and I'm sure Harry and this thinks he still hates people who are cruel and who mock people, etc. He just, his perceptions are so twisted by his background that, you know, his sense of standards are twisted, I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah, I'm curious as to where this is going, because toward the end of these chapters that we're talking about tonight, I was really starting not to like Harry very much. These are sort of, (laughs) I think this, the segment we read tonight is like Harry at his darkest, like the Lord Potter bit at the end. which is That's that's exactly what I'm talking about, because he's said some things and, and done some things that to me, it's, it's, it's almost, I'm not sure where the story arc is going. I, I yeah, but and I, I but know. I stopped at our last chapter tonight. Yeah. I didn't have time to get any farther than that. So that's what I'm saying is like I have to read the rest of the story because I need to know where the arc is going. Not that I don't think he ever he's ever going to turn into the Harry from canon or anything like that. But I don't know if P, P, I think P.S. Omelie and Ray have all finished this. If you agree with me that sort of where he stopped tonight is kind of the valley for Harry, and it seems like he's kind yeah. of going it's, uphill this again. Is, this is the word. Like I almost see. It as not necessarily being, like, the worst. I mean, I don't know where it's going. Like, he could very well get worse. This could be, like, a first, like, flash of him at his worst. And then he goes back to being normal. I think I just, it influences. I see, There's no... I thought that it would be very easy for him at this point in the story to just go dark. I agree with you. you know? I think the difference is in three, we get 
Sirius and Remus. And there's other, like, up until now, he has absolutely no influence on him outside of Slytherin House. And I think when he starts right. to get at least a little influence, besides the, I mean, who's, who are the only people he spends time with are like the Malfoys and the Knots. He just Death Eaters, basically. These are the only people he spends his time with and his vacation with. So, and, and I and have to help. say that for, as a general rule, the Knots and the Malfoys in this, I liked them. I like them too. <laughs> you know, but they were just good parents. It was hard for me to stomach Draco having an older brother, but you know, <laughs> I had to I had to give that up to the alternate universe. Whatever. You know, and that Blaze was a girl, you know, I had to get past that. But it's a fandom thing, isn't it? That they all thought that she was a girl up until yeah, books are, I don't get where in- that came from. Blaze is a boy's name. That was common uh, though. I I read a lot of fix where she's a, a he's I a know. Girl. That's what I mean. I mean, where does it come from? I don't know. I have no idea, but, you know, I didn't know when the fic was started, and so I just wrote it off. If he wanted Blaze to be a girl, then she's a blonde-headed dictionary that likes to hang on to Harry and touch him a lot. One thing interesting, which I'd, I'd be curious to hear other people's thoughts on, is the Dobby storyline. We talked about it a little bit last time, but I guess in particular, when I was reading the story at this point, just to tell my own mind point, I kind of thought, okay... Dobby tries to stop Harry first, and Harry goes to the manor, and Dobby meets Harry, and then Dobby decides he doesn't like Harry anymore. But that's not the case, because Dobby then stops the bludger later on. But then it's I kind of feel sorry for Dobby, because he's like, nothing, he's like, no one ever figures out what was going on with all of that in this story. And Dobby's just, you know, he's still enslaved. Yeah, I think that was another thing that was hard for me, because... I said it in my notes, especially in the in the first year of this fic, you know, you really needed to throw out everything you knew about canon characters and think about them from the way that Death Roll was writing them. Mm-hmm. But then again, it's almost like you had to rely on your knowledge of canon be- to fill in some of the blanks, because otherwise, if you're reading it as it was written, you'd be confused at some points. So, and I can't even re- remember specifically what parts of the story. I think a lot of it had maybe the troll and... In in the first one, you mean? Yeah, about the troll and especially when they're finding out about the stone and you know, some of those parts, it's almost, you know, I felt like you needed to rely too much on the canon to understand exactly what was going on, but it got a lot better in the second year. I didn't feel that way at all. But I almost let I mean, sorry, Dobby, like you think about it Dobby meets this Harry, and Harry's so mean to him, but he's still trying to save Harry. I don't know. I, I just thought it kind of reflected like sort of a tragic, but heroic Dobby figure. I really didn't feel like he was really all that mean to Dobby. Or just the house elves. I mean, it has to be disillusioned. Like, look how excited and canon Dobby is about the great Harry Potter, you know, who, like, cares for people who are less than him. And you have Harry when he's staying in the manor, and he's like, fetch me french fries that are lightly grilled and salted on one side and a pumpkin juice. But see, I had to to think about it from this angle, though, Mike, is that in this story, Dobby doesn't see the Malfoys as being a threat to Harry, so why would he? But he does see them as a threat to Harry because he tries to stop Harry, right? He tries... What I'm saying is that I I, I think Dobby's perspective is the same. The the um the diary's still there. Dobby's still doing his um Dobby thing. Yeah, but I just didn't I just didn't get the I didn't get the urgency though that he was he was feeling so he was feeling so scared for his safety. I, and maybe that can I think maybe that's the same. He can't show himself to Harry this time because Harry would know he was a Malfoy house elf, and he'd tell he, Draco. You know, so the difference is we can't. Harry can't see Draco, I mean, can't see Dobby on screen. Just like Dobby can't block the entranceway because Draco's with Harry. So it limits Dobby more, I think. Yeah. 
That's probably it. I missed Dobby. I missed his mm-hmm. exuberance. You know, he was yeah, just a house elf. Very toned down. Yeah. He was just a house elf, you know, so he didn't really get a lot of time because that's how the mouth always felt about house elves. Well, yeah, I just imagine how disillusioned he must have been, but he still tries to help. I don't know. That's just what always goes through my head when I read that part. Poor Dobby. Yeah, that's really sweet of you, Mike, yeah. to feel bad for Dobby. Well, thanks. I think he has a healthy dose of, you know, hero worship, and if he were in canon, he'd be treating me so much better. <laughs> so he doesn't have anything to compare it to. I mean, he's still nicer than the Malfoys. Yeah, that's true. That's that is, Yeah, that's true. He's nicer than the Malfoys. Yeah. So was there really much going on other than the beginning of the fight in Chapter 10? Um, let's see what um, else. The only thing I have in my notes is the fact that Anne Boleyn and Elizabeth I are witches. Oh, yeah. I had oh, that, yeah. Too. I liked that. I, I love, I love it when like they get into like muggle history. They say witch people in the, in, um, muggle history <laughs> or witches. It's like, um, one of the parts I love in, uh, you know, Battle of Wills is that the Kennedy family is wizards. I did, I did pull out a quote in chapter 10 that I, it made me giggle. It has nothing to do with the bearing of what we just talked about, but it was the second paragraph of the whole story. It says, so far as Harry could tell, none of the teachers was possessed by Voldemort. Lockhart was certainly too full of himself to allow any other presence to inhabit his body, not to mention the fits he would throw if his hair all fell out like Quarles had. That made me laugh about Lockhart, that he was too full of himself to allow another soul in. (laughs) There's some great lines. I don't know, do you mind if I read my favorite line? I think it's a couple of chapters ahead. This is my favorite line in the whole series. It's when uh, he's staying at the Knots for Christmas, and Mm -hmm. he goes... um, and he's talking with Tim's dad, and they're going to the, uh, whatever, the, his study or his lab. And he's going, my hypothesis is that number five is the most important of all numbers in a magical sense. I thought that seven was strongest, Tim questioned. So common wisdom tells us, Mr. Knott nodded. But seven does not exist in nature. Both living and non-living things exhibit the traits of six, such as snowflakes, blah, blah, blah. Six is a very useful number. And he's, and he's going on about numbers for a little while. And he goes, um, so far as seven. I've noticed... Yeah, so far... Seven means nothing. But the line is... Hold on, let me find it. So, okay, so what about seven, Tim asked, not letting go of his original point? Practically useless, Mr. Knott sniffed. Oh, it's it's good for a few showy things, but no serious wizard would ever depend on seven where his life was at stake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like, he's a Death Eater at Voldemort, obviously, with his horcruxes. And, yeah. I really like that whole thing, actually, because I was like... I feel like arithmancy... Okay. So, granted, Joe has stated math is not her thing, right? Mm-hmm. So this whole idea of arithmancy and having this math subject, she didn't really go into it in detail, probably because she doesn't feel terribly comfortable with the subject in general. So, so I love when somebody does it well, in effect, mm-hmm. where they really look at numbers in a way like this. And I think it's done here, probably one of the best that I have seen in fan fiction. I mean, it's only a small little part, but it's something that I think a lot of people don't even try. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a – you've got to understand the numbers to write the subject, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now people understand the numbers. Yeah. Anyway, sorry to go off topic, but I wanted to share. I've been waiting like <laughs> three episodes to share that. <laughs> so what did you guys – oh, see, I go. Nope. Keep steering. I was going to say, what did you think of the duel? And the aftermath of it. Um, you know, I, I don't didn't really think a lot of the duel because I knew that Harry and Draco were best mates, so it really kind of turned out the same way with Harry doing the parcel song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess what I thought was interesting was how 
from what I remember of canon, it was like, this was one of those scenes where it's like sort of paragraph by paragraph, the exact same events happen. Yet because of it's this different Harry, his reactions to it are different. Like when it's uh, Snape and Lockhart fighting now, it's like, go Snape. Whereas before it was like, I don't know which one I want to win. And, you know, and he still winds up finding Draco, but the whole, it's sort of like the same scene with the dynamic shifted. I think I thought it was one of the better examples in the story of where exact same scene, only radic- only like from the opposite Paul, because of the changes. And speaking of Snape, I may not deal well with some of the premise of this fic, but it was nice to finally see Snape be nice to Harry. (laughs) Oh, I know know? what you mean. (laughs) You know, it was nice for Snape to finally, you know, for him to seem like an adult and to care about Harry because I found myself really liking him, even though he was obviously his favoritism of the Slytherins was ridiculous, <laughs> but I really liked what he did or what he's done so far here. And it's, it's nice to see Harry and Snape's relationship written that way. I agree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really like the fact that although you do finally see being a grown up and acknowledging Harry's successes, which you don't see in canon, obviously, it's still really understated. I don't see him to be one to be gushing over even his own Slytherins. And I like the fact that he does give a nod of his head. He takes this this pride with a little bit of style, but he's not over the top about it. And I thought that was really well done. Yeah, I thought it was too, really. That was one of the things that I've liked so far about this, is that Snape finally feels like a character that's not been villainized. I know I'm looking forward to how, looking into the future to what's not been written, you you have to wonder, I don't know if anyone else spends time doing this, but like, how is this going, how is it going to fall out in the future? And I wonder how Sirius and Snape and Harry, how that sort of three-way dynamics going to be changed by the fact that the relationship between Harry and Snape is so much more positive in this one. Yeah, and I mean, and, and we also will get to it, and I probably shouldn't jump ahead, but just the fact that Snape later on asks Harry whether he wants to know. Lucius, to me at least, and, and Ryan was saying this last time, I think is one of the more interesting characters in the story. Yeah, I mean, I was really surprised to see how he treated Harry. I'm more interested to see how it goes after Voldemort comes back. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, like, I don't know how that's going to get. Yeah. How how is that going to be handled? I don't understand where the story's how it's going to go. That's what I'm interested. looking forward to because how can you know? Like he's spending Christmas and summer holidays with the Knots and the Malfoys and all these Death Eaters who are going to be in that. If it goes according to plan, they're going to be in that circle at the end of year four. Voldemort's going to call back. I don't I don't see how because they're very human. This how can they be? You know, laughing at Harry and cursing at him. It can't happen. Real or mm-hmm. something has to give one way or the other. Yeah, that worries me. (laughs) You know, I wonder if if at some point Harry's, all the waffling back and forth that Harry has with just himself about whether something's right to go after somebody because of their blood status or to to go after and hex them just because you feel like it that day. Whether he's going to come to a crossroads and have to break away. I don't think he will, though. I, I mean, I don't know because it's only done through. But my sense is, and this is, I guess, just this is totally in my mind based off just my perceptions that what you might, I don't think Harry's in it. I think he'll may, he won't go down sort of the Lord Potter, Dark Lord sort of path, but I don't think he's going to become ever sort of admiring Dumbledore, Order of the Phoenix either. And, and I think what you might see is that maybe this fic takes it more, puts them in a more entirely Slytherin perspective and you have sort of Slytherin house splintering itself. And maybe it's kind of like the conflict is 
sort of a Slytherin civil war almost between like, you know, the Harry Potter faction and the Voldemort faction. I could be wrong. Well, I do. I I kind of wonder you say that, but then if what Slytherins are going to fight against them if he's really friends with all the Death Eaters? Well, he's not friends with all the the Death Eaters. He's friends with Gorn. The big Death Eaters are his friends. It's not Bellatrix, not, um, what's the werewolf, you know? I I mean, some of them, I think it's going to be kind of a split down the middle. He's friends with some, you know, what about not, who knows what's going to happen with Barty Jr. Not, I mean, Lucius Malfoy is one of the big Death Eaters, but he's only one, not the, um, what are the, what are the two that uh, take over Hogwarts? The Caros. The Caros. Yeah, yeah. And Bell. I mean, Bellatrix is at least as important in the Voldemort scheme as Lucius is. So, I mean, I think it'll be like a split down the middle almost, is my guess. Well, and that's what I'm saying is I think maybe he comes to a crossroads where he has to wonder what's really right. And maybe his friends will go with them. When you say a yeah. crossroads, do you mean like turn his back on pure blood and become Gryffindor? Not even Gryffindor. No, like, I'm not, oh, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about, you know, leaving the house. I'm mm-hmm. talking about, you know, coming to a point in his life where it's not okay for him to just go hex people because he wants to. Okay. Because obviously in this story, he's having trouble with that. Yeah, there's, if, he's, there's, yeah. if he's angry, if he's angry or somebody's pissed him off, He's all about, let's go lock their legs, you know, but when he's not angry and he doesn't have any beef against the person, he's not really very cool with Draco or anybody else going and bullying people. And that's what I'm wondering is at some point he got the, what is it, the Slytherin code of honor that, you know, you always stick up for your housemates that, you know, he might have to come to a certain point where his own morals mean more to him than the collective feeling of the house. Or he decides what his morals are first, I suppose. Well, true, true. The the blank slate thing does come in, but he's obviously wrestling with some of the stuff that that doesn't bother anyone else. That's a good point. Well, you can say, I think you're right about the anger when I when you say that. I think back that it's it's when he's angry that he goes along with it, and you sense that awkwardness a lot of the other times. Yeah, and I mean it's it's jumping out of year two for a moment, but to discuss this element of his own lack of self restraint, I really thought that was telling in chapter three when he. Or I'm sorry, in, in book three, when he has the broomstick. Yeah. You know, it's that same, he just mm. has that urge and he doesn't even fight it. He doesn't have the self-restraint. He just gives into it. And yeah, I, I thought that was such an interesting choice, literary-wise, because it really echoes his behavior you see in book two, where he just gets angry or he just gets passionate and he just does it without thinking. He does these things that maybe he knows somewhere that he shouldn't be doing in the same way he knows, you know, I have a perfectly good broom. It's better than what everyone has already. But no, I have have to have that, you know. And that that's sort of where seems... the whole entitlement thing, you know, you've got the very rich mm-hmm. kids and their entitlement that's starting to really wear off on him because he's noticed at this point Draco's told him his vault's bigger than, you know, his trust fund and that he's got the money and then he sees, again, jumping into year three, you know, he sees Lucius's vault and he still realizes that he's, as a child, he's still very well off, you know, so he's starting to grasp his sense of being entitled. Whereas, you know, when he was just living with the Dursleys and he had nothing. He wasn't entitled to Jack. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's interesting that, like, Harry in the canon has all this... I mean, he still he obviously has the same amount of money as the Harry in this, but it's just, like, because of the environment, he doesn't get like that. It's because he has the Weasleys who are so was- poor... That he, he knows yeah. how to be humble, but here with this influence, I mean, I guess that's getting it back to the question of is Harry a blank slate or is he, you know, does he have some natural, you know, morals? 
You know, and he didn't have, in this story, he doesn't have Hermione to rein him in either. Because I don't see any of the Slytherins. Well, while Deathrow has written Tim kind of in the, mm-hmm. you know, the Brainiac figures things out, you know, and, and takes care of that question of, of losing Hermione. But there's no character. moral cook with him. Yeah, but Hermione really in canon, she did a lot of reining in of Harry and Ron. Not just their studies, but she was... Their moral yeah. compass, I no. Yeah, she, she centered Harry. And so he's not, I don't, he doesn't get any of this. And so it's interesting how the loss of that influence is changing him. Because Tim and, I see Tim and Blaze kind of going together and replacing that Hermione. And, and they don't share that same kind of restraint that she did. Mm-hmm. So I do think with the money that P.S. may have hit it on the head, it's that instead of it being the Weasleys and he's living with the Weasleys, you could imagine how Ron would have reacted in canon if Harry had bought that broom. He's living with the Malfoys in Malfoy Manor. And uh, that, that different sort of perception, that different sort of view to indulging yourself and... Well, but on the other hand, you have Lucius and uh, Narcissa sort of mildly disapproving. I mean, they're like... Yeah, because they said... When Lucius Lucius shows him the vault, he says, this is through careful management. Yeah, that's true. When Harry buys the broom, he's like, well, it's your money. I mean, like, he doesn't say outright, that was a stupid idea, (laughs) but... Well, and you also noticed... Yeah, you also noticed it, too, when they found out how much the broom cost, because Lucius kind of scoffed at it. Yeah, that's kind of expensive. Yeah, like, I'd never spend that much on the broom. You then know, their sister says, like, well, you buy toys, too, or doesn't she have some sort of line like that? Yeah, the boys have their toys. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, yeah. it's true, but, but you know, Lucius, yeah. even the, even at that very first price, he just was like, eh, you know, I think I'll wait till the newness wears off and you bring the price down a little bit. It might yeah. be a great broom, but I'm not going to jump on the bandwagon first. <laughs> yeah. Well, yep. Harry, Harry does have this very... Nouveau riche sort of thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Coming from nothing, and now he wants everything. Whereas the people who have money tend to have it because they do have a showy manner and whatever, but in general, they have to save it in order to have it. Right. Well, and I think it's also interesting when you come from the mindset of an abused child or to think of it in terms of like a... a in reality, like a foster child, when you don't, or even if your family was very poor and then you grow up and you've got a really great job, you can start to do for yourself. At some point, you know, you're just like, I deserve this stuff. He's thinking, I deserve to have clothes, so I'm going to buy some. You know, I deserve to have that broom. I have the money and I don't, why not? So he doesn't, I think there's, there's a couple different ways that he could possibly justify that in his head. Mm-hmm. I agree. Do you think... That Harry in canon is impulsive. I mean, he's not impulsive with buying, but as we're think- saying this, and I'm kind of thinking in my head, with Harry does seem to, he does have an impulsive streak, I think, in canon, too. Oh, he does. Yeah. He's very impulsive. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that part is at least realistic. I mean, he but, it's, again, it's based he's, on his actual personality, but just because I think of the environment he's in, it's, it's not manifesting. the same way. He's, right. He's not impulsive. He's not an impulsive buyer because in the canon, the people that he knows are not going to be encouraging that behavior, but... When they are, it's going to manifest, like you said, it's going to manifest itself. It's always latent inside of him because we all know that he's reckless. Right. See, he would never have thought to get him. He ne- Well, obviously in canon he never did, but he never really thought to get himself new clothes, even though he knew he could afford it. Because he always saw all the Weasley boys wearing each other's hand-me-downs. 
So to him, it was just the same. Why do I get new clothes? You know, I've got to get my school robes. That's and I guess all I the flip need. side is his friends wouldn't stand, or they wouldn't be as tolerant, and they aren't as intolerant of him channeling his recklessness into sort of, quote, doing quotes with my fingers, Gryffindor activities. Because there's a few lines like, that's so Gryffindor, Harry, when he starts to act like he does in canon with kind of like charge head first into places. Right, right. Whereas Slytherin, it's not so much that they, they're never brave. I think we touched on this last week. Not that they're never brave, but it's more of like, let's less individual. It's more like committee kind of decision by committee almost. They're brave, but they think about it first. You know, they consider all of the avenues before they go be brave. If you, you know, wanted to be less kind, you could say calculating. There we go. There you- I'm cool with it. But see, I don't maybe necessarily think of calculating as a completely negative word. I mean, no, it, it sounds negative, but I really don't think it is. Because I think cautious, we should say. But when, what did you think of the Percy storyline from him stopping the fight to his switching houses? Yeah, go ahead, P.S. You know all about switching houses. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, resident expert, P.S. Well, it kind of, I mean, it really threw me because, I mean, that really doesn't seem like it would work in canon. I mean, I don't think it really... P.F.W. Shut up. <laughs> I think, you know, it just seems weird to me. Like, it's not something they'd allow. I guess, how do you stop? I guess when Ginny does it, it's kind of, they don't allow it, but she just like stops living. You know, she just doesn't go to Gryffindor house. It's either like, mm-hmm. you know, you expel her, or you kind of give in to the inevitable. And I think, Dumb- is it Percy that Dumbledore has the line about how, no, or is it Ginny? Well, he goes to the house's family at one point. That was one Dumbledore. Of, it's Dumbledore. I forget whether he's talking about Percy or Ginny. No, he's talking about Ginny. Ginny. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same, but same premise. I think there is the idea like this is slightly unprecedented, but, and Harry's the driving force behind it, I think too, in large measure. And again, I had to accept that the story's going somewhere else and that Death Row needed Percy to be in that house. Well, he needed Percy to be in Slytherin, otherwise Harry would have had no reason to go into the chain. I don't know. Percy's one of those characters that I was sort of sad about in canon, because I sort of feel like he got the shaft. Joe had this interesting thing going on, and then she's like, well, that doesn't really fit with what I'm doing. So she's like, okay, so he's going to come back, and everybody's going to be happy, and he's going to say he was an ass, and everything will be great. Which is, I mean, I definitely see why she did it. It gave a lot of good resolution to the whole tension within the family, and I I definitely see where it was going. But on the other hand, I thought this was just sort of, not in that it was like, hey, this is the best, this is better than canon, or whatever like that, but it's just an interesting way to explore Percy. Because we do know he does like authority, and he does like to be praised. Social standing, too. He He likes social standing. He likes being respected. He likes all these things, and if he could get that in Slytherin, I could see why that would appeal to him. I don't, this is not to say P.S. I know about your reservations with would they let him do it, but in terms of would he be willing? And I can't say that he wouldn't be willing. You know? Well, I think, like, on paper, I think Percy is pretty suited to Slytherin like, in general. You know, like, I think that if maybe if Percy had like, I don't know when this manifested itself, because we don't, we don't meet Percy until he's 15, but I mean he seems like someone who is pretty suited to Slytherin in general, and if, like, he didn't come from a Gryffindor family, it's he well could have been in Slytherin. I was thinking about a lot about that, because I was thinking, I mean, Percy is a middle to youngest child. I mean, he's not the youngest, but he's sort of, he's, he's right about the middle, you know? He's got all these brothers who have been boys and Quidditch people and, you know, all these things for Gryffindor. The whole family's been Gryffindor. There's a huge family pride about that. 
that. And being that he's so eager to please, I could see him, if the sorting hat asked him at 11, do you want to be in Slytherin? I could see him saying, no, I'm not supposed to do that. Yeah, I mean, I have a theory that mo- like 90% of the time, at least, the hat just puts you where you want to. Because if you think about it, what are the, like, we know these fam- these houses follow family lines. Uh, what are the odds that, you know, no black child until Sirius for like, you know, however many centuries they've been going to Hogwarts ever was capable of being in any house but Slytherin. And no Weasley for however many centuries the Weasley was ever capable of being, you know what I mean? It seems to me that they go in wanting a house or expecting a house. And so their expectations are met, even if they could go somewhere else. Possibly. I think that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You're They're almost like groomed for it. It's like yeah. your family just continues on the tradition and you know that they would all be let down or you might think that they would be let down if you didn't end up in the house that they were expecting you to be in. And here's something else that just occurred to me. Uh, it's slightly, very slightly off topic. Don't laugh at me, Jen. Uh, <laughs> but when you think about sorting into Slytherin, because Deathrill brings it up that with Hermione that she could never be in Slytherin because she's not pure blood or half blood, even though she might have the traits. And I wonder, does J.K. ever comment on that? Whether it's if there are obviously Muggleborn students who would have the personality of a Slytherin, you know, the Slytherin traits, just like there are for every other house. But do they just not? Are they ruled out because? When Slytherin, when Mr. Slytherin was around, he would not have wanted them in his house because of their blood, or they just sort it in and kind of hide it and pretend like try to fit in, or just you ever hear anything about that? Can we wait uh, while I? I just I don't think that the hat would put them there just because the I think the hat is nice enough that he wouldn't want them to have to deal with that kind of terror. And I know in Aspen in the Sunlight, I think she does have muggle. I'm just thinking about yeah. the fix. She has no, muggleborns. Because I have definitely, I have read muggleborns in Slytherin. I have read one where I, it was a one shot I read several years ago. And it was the, um, the Slytherin's turn with the Boggart in Prisoner of Azkaban. The reason Snape was in the teacher's lounge is when they came in for the Slytherin class, he was trying to stop them because the muggleborn girl's Boggart was them finding out. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> See, I could, I could just imagine being a muggle-born living in Slytherin. I would be terrified all the time. Well, you, know, you would. I, I mean, they, you would. You would be denying your. I mean, I, I imagine nine out of ten times you would be like, like you like you'd see in real life with like like in real history. You saw the same thing with African Americans who. It would. It would be like, do you want to pass? Yeah, you know what I mean, like, pass. if you're will, are you willing to pass? And you have to adopt a certain amount of their prejudice and go along with it. And then um, even, like, Harry maybe even start to believe it. Yeah. Because yeah, that's, that's, that's what happens. Like, in real life, that's what happens. Oh, yeah, like, I've read things about, you know, in World War II, in America, uh, Jews who, because they can pass as Christians, then they start, they become, like, sort of fanatically pro-Nazi because they get sucked into it. And they're, and they, you know, totally illogical, obviously, but, you know, it happens. I, and I can see it two ways with Sorting to Slytherin. On the one hand, there are muggle children who are cunning and ambitious and blah, blah, blah. But do you want to put them in Slytherin? I don't know. And no, if you're, I think, well, if you're that Slytherin, then you probably would do anything to get power. Well, you're only 11, though. I mean, as much as any 11 year old is. Here's a really, gonna, here's yeah. a really good li- real life example of this, because I think, Oh, by the way, the lexicon doesn't say. Ah, interesting. Oh, interesting. I didn't think there had been. So but she never mentioned it, yeah. This goes a little bit off topic, but it's still in the same, thinking on the same mindset. Imagine, well, I live in the Midwest. Some of the people in the Midwest aren't the most tolerant people to anything that's not normal. 
my family, I could sometimes take them or leave them for the crap that comes out of their mouths. But I grew up with very, very, very racist side on my father's side of the family. And I never felt that way. But it was easier for me growing up to just keep my mouth shut and let them spew their vitriol, you know, and then just know in my head that when I, when I'm an adult or when I have my own home, I'm not going to allow that kind of behavior. But a few years ago, my husband and I really had to search our hearts when we decided to adopt because his family is the same as my family. But, you know, and I guess that that makes us too tolerant of their behavior. But in our home, we don't allow racism in this house. I don't have a use for it. I believe everybody, I judge everyone based upon who they are and, and not where they come from or the color of their skin or, you know, how smart they are. Everybody starts at the same place with me until they prove themselves otherwise. But when we decided to adopt... We had to decide whether we were going to check the box that said we wanted a Caucasian child or did we want a a mixed race child or did we want an African-American child or did we want um, a special needs child. And in the end, this is going to make me sound so petty and please forgive, Pufwa, please forgive me for finding out some of my innermost thoughts. But we ended up checking Caucasian and we didn't check anything else because we didn't feel like it was fair to our child to have to live with our families thinking that he or she was less than perfect. However, God brought them into that world. And I didn't want to expose my child to that kind of hate. It's That's good. I mean, that's not you being racist. That's yeah, society. That's... I mean, I can totally understand. Even if your own, even if your family in general wasn't racist, society, people would look at you weird. You know, for example. If you had a black kid. You know, I mean, right. so I think even just saying that you're not going to do that. Because I still, think it that. protects the kid from society in general. Because I think that my father, which is who really I'm talking about, but I think that my father would have come around. It wouldn't have mattered if I had brought home a purple spotted dragon. I think my dad would have been so overjoyed at the fact that we had a child in our life and how that affected me after what I've been through personally. I think that it wouldn't have mattered, even though he's the way he is. I think it's like you love what you have. But the rest of the family, I have a cousin that's got several biracial kids. And when we go to Christmas, those kids are ostracized. And I hate that about my family. I hate that they're so narrow-minded and judgmental and bigoted and prejudiced that they can't just love those kids for who they are because they're beautiful kids. But when they come to our huge family outing, they stick to themselves because they know that they're going to be treated badly. And I see that, you know, that's my family and I have to accept who they are. And I wasn't willing to expose my child to that. You know, and I think in a, in a way it, it kind of goes back to the sorting hat. A different child would have fit into my family really well. But I don't think that the sorting hat would want to have to make them live that way. I don't okay. think the sorting hat would ever make anybody do anything. If the sorting hat thought that this was an exceptional muggle-born child who had what it took to live and succeed in Slytherin, I think that he or she would be sorted there. Or who wanted to be in Slytherin. Right, that's what I mean. Yeah, I think Probably. it would have to be a really special, it would have to be a really special personality to be able to overcome what was already there. <laughs> so, 
But yeah, there's, you know, my little shed of light on a muggle born in Slytherin. I mean, you see that even with the half-bloods, you think about Snape in Slytherin and him trying to stress the pureblood side, and he's not even a muggle born, so. I mean, well, then here's the thing. Tom Riddle thought he was a muggle born until they realized he wasn't. So. That's true, actually, yeah. He would have, when he was sorted, he would have thought he was a muggle born, and everybody would have thought he was muggle born. But, but then, but it, it screwed him up, because doesn't he, he's constantly looking to try to prove that, you know, like, isn't he, right, like, looking on the wall? to try to find that his father's name there and he yeah he did he figured he some i think he i forget i don't know how but he figured out on his own by doing his own work i think that he was who he was because they i don't think it's ever mentioned that he always knew i think it says he found out in like his fifth year or something Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah i think he has the misconception right that his like like he at some point he thinks like oh my father must be a great wizard but he's not kind of thing sort of wish i mean like I mean, I would assume, because when I think it's in Half-Blood Prince, he says, oh, so does that mean Albus is like, oh, it's possible that your parents were wizards and you just wound up in this muggle orphanage by random. But then he's like, well, my mother couldn't be the witch because she was so weak. She died, so it would have to be my father. But then he finds out that it's not. Right. Uh, Tom Riddle. And he was, I guess, the leader (laughs) of Slytherin in his house. And you wonder, too, though, at least I always wonder, how much... I have this theory that a lot of what Slytherin House is and a lot of what Gryffindor House is later on, but first Slytherin, is shaped by Voldemort's presence there. And that Slytherin House might have been a bit different than we see it in canon before Voldemort sort of went through there and warped it a little bit. And that sort of the Slughorn Slytherin generation, not that there weren't these tendencies in Slytherin House, but that he sort of twists them to his own benefit, too. It makes Slytherin House more of what we find it in terms of intolerance than it might have been in Slughorn's generation. Whereas in Slughorn's generation, it might have been more about the ideals of cunning and so on, and ambition. That is a theory I toss around sometimes. Okay, can I bring up something that I was excited about? Yes. I love Ginny in this fic. <laughs> I love Ginny too, and you know what, Jen? <laughs> what? I, I know Harry's in Slytherin, and I know Harry's a bastard, but I still ship Harry Ginny in this <laughs> fic. I do too! I do too! Can I, read, can I read something from chapter 12? Go yeah. for it. After the Quidditch match, when Harry goes back with Draco to the hospital wing and Jenny's there, Mike, I think this was one of the scenes that you talked about. Harry says, Oi, Draco, it's one of your bloody attackers. Which, Draco asks, I'll get my wand. The girl. I never did like her. I can see why with a name like the girl, Weasley. And then she says, Oh, stop it. She told them crossly, My name is Jenny. You have names? I thought Weasley's just had numbers, Harry drawled. <laughs> Shut up. Got a spot of detention, have you? Draco asks brightly. Leave me alone. You didn't leave me alone, he slapped. I think you deserve far, far worse than detention. Jenny flushed as red as her hair. Wasn't my idea, she muttered. She continued scrubbing. I fully intend to drown your miserable brother in a vat of glue, Draco glowered. Which one? She said (laughs) half-heartedly. You know, it's just like, she's got spunk in character. And we know later on it is all her idea, too. (laughs) But uh, she doesn't allow them to treat her badly. You know, whereas Ron kind of accepts the fact that Draco and Harry are mean and bad, Jimmy's just like, I'm done with your shit. (laughs) You know, just enough. You know, I'm not letting you pull it with me. I almost think that what it is is that we're seeing kind of... The Ginny as we saw her in book five and six now versus the Ginny we saw in book two in canon. Because the Ginny in book two in canon is kind of like the shy, like jumpy, squeaky girl. And whether that's accurate or not, or just Harry not paying attention to her. Well, I think that Harry didn't see it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think this Because Riddle says that she writes in her journal that way. Yeah, and she still does. Harry wasn't in Gryffindor to see it. 
what's she writing in her journal this time? It's like she's falling in, she, she has a crush in her brother's yeah. worst enemy. Yeah. yeah, but Harry just wasn't in, you know, everything from canon is in Harry's point of view, so he wasn't in Gryffindor to see her pining. Right, yeah, so this is very much year five Ginny, I think we're seeing. Well, this is Ginny Ginny. I mean, it's not year five. I mean, that really... Well, I mean, that, this is completely, I'm Ginny. sorry, this is completely off topic, but it really bugs me when people are like, Ginny changed. No, I don't think Ginny, Ginny changed. Ginny didn't want to act like herself in front of Harry because no 12-year-old girl with a crush wants to act like herself in front of her crush. I'll rephrase. Ginny in this is acting herself rather than how we see her in the air, too. Yeah. I think part of it is when he's Her- the great Harry Potter and he's in her house with her brothers, she has, again, she's just hero worship. And what we see in canon is she gets over the hero worship, she stands up to him, and she can say, hey, you know what? You're being an ass to him canon and when he she gets to that point he's really attracted to her right right so he doesn't notice her until she can stand up to him really that's very true um, and so in this book she doesn't have that oh this is the great harry potter my brothers all love him and my mom loves him and everybody loves him and he's so amazing and everything else she's like you know what he is in slytherin house he's supposed to be the bad guy so she doesn't have this higher pedestal for him and so she doesn't have that hero worship in the same way that i mean she's got a crush yes you know and ask any 11 year old girl if she wants to talk about her crushes god no you know she's terrified of him finding out that she likes the bad boy yeah she well, can tell that's him very off, but she can tell him off because she doesn't have him on such a high pedestal it seems more like a lily james or at least how lily james is portrayed early on yeah but i like that jenny is who jenny is in this because i like jenny i'm a, i'm i'm all about the jenny well, if I have to guess, it's either going to wind up Harry Blaze or Harry Ginny, probably. Right, well, yes, you would say? One or the other? Well, one of the things I, I noticed... I will that acknowledge Harry Blaze, but sure. I I think that Death Rolls setting this for a lot of love triangles. Oh, yeah, yeah. You read year three, it's like a bazillion love triangles. Yeah, I mean, because Jenna gets in there, too. <laughs> yeah, and, and then uh, so the does years. Slater. What about her face? Um, some, I can't remember her first name, but Girl Slater. Slater. Girl Slater, yeah. Yeah, it's her name's like Leah or something. something they with an L. L name. Yeah, <laughs> it's like Lane and Leanne or uh, something. Like that. Girl Slater. <laughs> Girl Slater. I think her name is Lane. Lucas Although I and find Lane. it a little creepy that yeah, the boy apart. Just saying. Yeah, I thought that was funny that the parents didn't want to cut his hair. <laughs> yeah, poor kid. <laughs> Let's see. Something, another scene I really liked is I like the scene where Harry's listening in on the Hufflepuffs and he's kind of hearing what they hear about them. I especially love Hermione's little line about how uh, Harry Potter's about as nice as dental work without the gas. Yeah. Uh, but just the whole thing kind of, it's like this sort of semi-slap in the face, like hearing what they hearing think Hearing that him. about himself. Yeah. Here's the, isn't, am I misremembering or isn't it he overhears the Hufflepuffs in canon too, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. But, but yeah, I really like that bit where it's kind of like, I think it's Hannah who, def- one of them's like defending him and all the others are like, no, he's that evil. Look at the facts. He's in Slytherin house. He, you know, does parcel Yeah. Job. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, that that's one of the points where Harry stopped and he's like, am I like that? You know, because if I am, I don't like it very well. Yep. Speaking of which, I'm kind of shocked. I mean, maybe I shouldn't bring this up, but I'm a little shocked that Gen 2 hasn't brought up Hermione's death yet. Um, I was getting there. You know what? You pinged me earlier, Mike, and you're like, let me know when you get there. And I'm like, well, I wonder what happens in the story that's so huge. I thought you were going to... I guess, like, her, I I guess Hermione, Hermione dying in this didn't bother me. Interesting. 
again, you have to remember that I told you I had to separate what I knew about Canon from mm-hmm. this story. When you talk about it from the basis of this fic, Hermione was just an annoying person that nobody really wanted to know or nobody, you know, that is primary in this story. So when she died, I didn't see it being all that monumental for them to even uh-huh. notice. See, I'm, I find that really interesting because I was coming into this podcast expecting like all the non-Slytherins and maybe even some of the Slytherins to be like, oh my God, Hermione's dead. How can you do that? But oh she didn't God, offer anything. Hermione. <laughs> yeah, you know, I did have that moment. I'm like, oh, Hermione's dead. You know, because I was shocked. <laughs> because that means that she's not going to come up anymore in the story. But she had no use in the story. She didn't move the plot lines at all. There were, you know, there's no subplot dealing with her. So other than the fact that she was a Muggleborn, there's plenty of other Muggleborns for them to torture. So. I do think, not that it had to be Hermione, but one thing I always thought was good was that, or not not good, but good from a storytelling perspective, is that someone actually dies from the Basilisk. And I know why J.K. didn't do it. It's because it's a kid's book. But you think, really, what are the odds of this giant monster going through these halls? And, like, you know, this this chain of events where no one happens to and die. And again, it's obviously because it's a children's book, not an adult book. But from an adult perspective, in the real world, you know someone would have died at some point, probably, in the course right. of you know, and I thought that it, it seemed like it was in character for him to have her in there bring a potion. Yeah, yeah. She... Don't you guys think she was doing what they did in Canon by herself, that she was yeah. she was going to uh-huh. do the polyjuice and she was going to infiltrate Slytherin? Yes, Possibly. I, think I, I wondered how that came about, but that's the feeling that I had. Yeah. Since she didn't have anybody else, you know, you didn't know really what else was happening in, in Hufflepuff, so... Because wasn't it her idea originally anyway in canon? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I just assumed it was her having the same idea and just doing it on her own because she has no uh, Ron or Hermione. I mean, I'm sorry, Ron or Hermione, Ron or Harry. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, it might have been somebody else. I mean, she might have had Justin or Hannah or whatever, but we just don't know it That's because true. she was yeah. the only one that was in the bathroom at the time. Yeah, poor Hufflepuff house. Yeah, they were so sad. I mean, I was sad for Hufflepuff, but Harry wasn't Harry. But Hermione wasn't really a contributing character in the story, so, you know, I didn't mourn her yeah. for very long. Well, I mean, not good, but I'm glad that it, you know, wasn't the big deal as I thought it would be, actually, pleasantly. Uh, well, I mean, so. it bothered me, but I can't really articulate what I thought because it's just been so long. I mean, like, I read I read Hermione's death when he wrote it, so I can't really... I mean, I remember when I did read it, I was really angry because it seemed to me almost... It seemed like he was doing it, and I don't know why. It seemed to me like he was doing it almost because he didn't like Hermione. Like, it was overkill. Like, he put Hermione and Hufflepuff, and then he killed her. And it just seemed really offensive he, to me. What he actually, I asked him this question, and what he actually told me was exactly what Jen said, actually, that it was just that he didn't have a plot line for her, kind of. And he didn't want her, and she was sort of like this loose end floating around kind of thing. And he, pre, he actually pretty much said word for word what Jen 2 said. So. Yeah, you also have to remember, you know, that I write too, so. You know, sometimes you have characters that you just don't feel like messing with, so they have to go away, like Marcus Flint. Why <laughs> <laughs> like well, I like how he handled Marcus Flint. I don't why he did that. Well, Flint will come back next year, because right, isn't it? The reason he did that with Flint, I think, is because in, yeah. like he really, like he really is there an extra year, and J.K. was just sort of like, oh, he got left back a year to explain why he was right. in Hogwarts yeah, for eight got years. Left back a year, so that's showing how. He- yeah, and to me, this is a lot more realistic for how he got left back than the idea that, which I see in other fics sometimes, that he just failed all his classes. Because you can't tell me that Flint's any stupider than Crab or Goyle in canon. You know, like, like why? Is- I mean, you gotta be. 
pretty dumb to like yeah. fail. The, I mean, get all the way through and then fail the last year. I mean, usually matter, you don't even need to repeat the last. You know, yeah. like who normally you don't yeah, need I mean, news. People that like fail, I would figure have would like be repeating earlier years too. Yeah, so yeah. I thought this is actually a clever way to have them repeat, like a family emergency. I wondered what the emergency was. I was mad because they didn't say. <laughs> well, they said that it was a bit of a cover, though, right? They were like, "Oh, it's a family emergency." Can you hear my quotation mark? Yeah. And, um, and that they knew he wasn't going to do well. And so rather than have him not do well, they said, you know what, let's pull him out and basically get him up to speed before putting him back in. Mm, I never thought of it like that's interesting. Yeah, me neither. But they they do say something to that where it's not. Well, he says it's Tim. He says he'll have to repeat his seventh year. Tim noted he couldn't pass his newts at this point. So yeah, I guess I didn't really think about it either. But now that I'm rereading this, as you say that, Omni, because I talk about him skiving, they're like, is he just skiving off the rest of the year? So it makes you wonder, is that what he was doing? Did he have senioritis? <laughs> <laughs> One senioritis, huh? <laughs> He's a jock, huh? No uh, grades. Yeah, it's like Quidditch was more important, so he just described off his classes. Because I can't see someone who is a Quidditch captain, not just a player, but a captain, being an ultimately dumb person, you know? No, they, they can't be because they have, they, to, be. they have to be a strategist. And he doesn't come exactly. across as dumb in this fic either. He comes across as, I mean, maybe not, not like Tim smart, but he comes across as competent and together. Well, they do say something about he's not like the top of his class or anything, but, right. you know, he doesn't need to be. Yeah. There's book smarts and then there's other types of smarts. Speaking of families, by the way, was I the only one that thought that the bit with Tim's mother being dead was the explanation for why he can see the Thestrals in year six in canon? I don't think I thought about it. I don't think I thought about that either. I know I, I didn't think about it. Because he, right, he's, the, he's the Slytherin that can see Thestrals. It's like him, Luna, Harry, and Neville, right? I, that's what I assumed Deathrall was saying, was this was the reason why Tim can see it. I because didn't think had, about uh, it. I It never crossed my mind. think that could be, though. Makes sense. Possibly. Works for me. <laughs> I have notions here. Sort of a running theme. It's not really a chapter-by-chapter chapter thing, although I do have them. Just a sort of Lucius protecting Harry. In Chapter 10, we see him, when Harry finds Mrs. Norris, he gives him an alibi, you know? Or the start of Year 3, for that matter. Um, yeah, that's what, what I'm saying. But this is, it's in Chapter 10 here, but we keep seeing this running theme of the beginning of chapters of book three and all these other places where Lucius is sort of protecting Harry and he's sort of sheltering him. Well, and he enacts that, he proposes that legislation because of what happened to Harry in the summer between years one and two. Well, I disagree there, actually. He used it, but he was still concerned about what happened to Harry. Well, I, I do think he, he was would, concerned about Harry. But, but, he was able, but he was able to use Harry's name to twist it, yeah. to bend his will. But Amelie's right. Walks, it doesn't help Harry. I'm not sure that Lucius would have, I don't want to say come up with that on his own, because he might have, but I think that he saw the opportunity because it angered him about what happened to Harry, and Mm -hmm. he used that opportunity to do something about it, because he knew that if it was Harry Potter that happened to Harry, then it would stir people to act. 
Yeah, like I think Dumbledore mm-hmm. would have stopped it if it hadn't been for the sort of Harry propaganda behind it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we talked a lot about it last week. But yeah, I mean, personally, I think he's probably like, he is, I think, genuinely pissed at how they treat Harry. Like his, uh, the end of year two where it's like, I want to have words with these muggles. But I, I do think that was mostly sort of self-serving to push through an anti-muggle law. It music. was, but I yeah. think that Omley's right. There's a lot of evidence in the story about. Yeah, there is. A, yeah. I mean, year three, we he has, he has Harry's house washed, right? So that it, when Harry curses the muggles, he can cover it up and it never gets out. He never has to be a fudge like he does in the real right. book. The fact that he's gone behind, not behind Harry's back, but he's already fixed it with his friends in the ministry in case Harry loses it with his family. He yeah. had to care enough about Harry. You know, he had to care about Harry's future. Otherwise, it wouldn't have made any difference to him. Well, see, you know, the the thing is, wait, is how much, I mean, what is exactly this ideology? Like, do they think, is there something inherently wrong with muggle-borns? Like, why would he want to help them? Yeah, what I think it is, is I think there's two things going on. A lot of purebloods, I think there's the racist aspect in the sense that we hate them because of their blood, which is a lot of... But then they also say it's not just blood, it's ability. Right. Well, what I think it is, is there's two sorts of perspectives. There's, this is what I think Deathville's arguing, is that there's the racist perspective, which a lot of, all the Southerns have to one extent or another, but then there's also the cultural one, the idea that this muggle culture is destroying our wizarding culture. And so what Lucius is kind of doing is he's doing, he's protecting he can't, he doesn't have the political power to get rid of all muggle wars, but he's ensuring that they're going to grow up in wizarding culture. And they're not going to grow up in pure blood family. I mean, that's the other, I brought this up briefly last week, but if you think about it, what's actually going to be happening to these kids? Because even assuming, well, there's two things. They're going to be adopted by how many pure blood families, one, want to adopt kids, and how many, two, are able to put aside whatever blood prejudices they have to adopt a muggle boy. So what's going to end up happening to these kids is they may be brought up in pure blood wizarding society with no knowledge of how the muggle world works. But they're going to be brought up basically in giant orphanages in sort of like this twisted parallel to... Yeah, that whole that whole idea got the whole adoptive parent in me yeah. really riled up. Because I have some pretty strong, progressive views about adoption. And but, yeah, I was kind of not... wondering what you thought. I was kind of wondering what you thought, Jen. I was just... Because it's also you wonder... It makes you wonder who would be allowed in this system to adopt these kids. Like, is it just going to be like pure blood people who are going to like hide their muggle thing from them? Or like... We see in all honesty... Because and... even if the children are with, with or wizards, they're still going to deny them their See, you family. Know, can I you think know, in all it... honesty, not to interrupt you, Jim, but I think it's just, the, I, think you're, I think we're falling in the trap of giving Lucius better motives than he has. I don't think he cares about these kids at all. I don't think he's doing this for the kids' best interest. Like, I don't think he actually expects... Well, no, men- it's never it's never a child's best interest to be taken away from his mother and father and given to someone else. Forcefully, but I don't think he even expects most of them to be adopted. I think the goal isn't so much to have them adopted as it is to rip them from their their muggle parents so they will have no exposure to muggle culture so that even if their lives are horrible in these orphanages when they come into the wizarding world they can't bring those evil I'm doing evil in quotes muggle or quote mudblood influences with them because their only influences are going to be wizarding influences even if their lives are totally wrecked in the process of accomplishing because I don't think you can possibly argue this is even you know no one A they're ripping them from their parents B no one's going to want to adopt them C they're going to be living in orphanage I mean it's, it's just a horrible all-around situation for them. Yeah, I I agree. Even though I adopted my daughter, I'm going to be real blunt. If my daughter's mother had been at a place in her life where she felt like she could mother Elizabeth, I think she'd be fantastic. She'd be a great mom as I am. 
I can't say that because my daughter was adopted that her mother was any less of a mother or any less of a woman or any less prepared than even I was at the time when Elizabeth came home. And that's what incensed me is because when you take those kids away, even though their parents are muggle, you're taking away their heritage, you're taking away their genes. I'm going to tell you what, my daughter is her mother. She's like a little carbon copy of her first mom. I can't erase that. And that's who she is. It's inherently her. And I embrace that. And I love it about her that she is nuts about horses and she responds to every musical instrument known to man because that's the way her mother is. I think it's wonderful. So I think that it does the kids a, a big disservice to take them away from their parents because it's who they are. You know, they're, not, they're not going to know who they are other than the fact that they're a witch or a wizard, but they're not going to understand who they are because they're not going to have someone to remind them of that. Well, Ryan had the interesting point is that you're almost like you're setting up a situation for like a counter Tom Riddle. For that all was these me, kids. actually. Well, sorry, it's P.S. You have all these kids growing up in horrible magic orphanages who are going to wish for their muggle parents. And it's like the, the inverse of Riddle. And yeah, I think this is purposely, I think you're supposed to hate. I mean, I don't see how you can possibly not hate the, this whole act. I like to think maybe I'm wrong that it's purposely done and that we're seeing that Lucius, you know, like somewhere right before that act, it's like Lucius or the missing scenes, I think it is like, I love you, Draco. Draco, I love you, Dad. And it's this Lucius protecting Harry, Lucius caring for Harry. Lucius, oh, he's not totally evil. He's an actual person. But on the flip side, it's not pretending he wasn't a death. It, you know, maybe he thought Voldemort went crazy and he wishes he had been a more pure blood agenda. But he, he was a death eater for a reason. He didn't try to back out of it. There's still something not, by our standards, not good in him. Even if he's not, he's complex. There are good things in him. But there's still this dark side where he would do something like this and ruin the lives of hundreds of children, like innocent children, and rip them from their parents. And I'm sure even if they do memory charms, there's maybe I'm being too mystical, but I think the parents would still feel something missing, even if they couldn't remember what. He's ruining, you know, hundreds of lives of totally innocent people for this ideology, basically. Um, I guess my point? Yeah. Okay. Here's my first point. Um, my first point is, other than the Weasleys, do we see that, that purebud families have a lot of children? Because you see James Potter is an only son. You see the the twins. You see Blaze and Jamie. Blaze and Jamie. Yep. But you're seeing, other than the Weasleys, you're seeing very small families. And you're seeing things like the Slytherin line when they say, oh, like all the people who could be defected, could be descended from Slytherin. Okay, I have family who were on the Mayflower, okay? This is not a bragging thing. This is a, so does a million other people, it seems like, you know? Because you just get these branching and branching and branching. And when you get that far back, there's a lot of possible descendants, right? Right. If you're going to try trace every line. And if you're going to tell me the only descendants of Salazar Slytherin <laughs> were all witches and wizards? Of, no, just the only ones who were descended from that line were Tom Riddle's mother's family, the Marvalos. They're the only ones still alive. That says to me, they're are some severe heredity issues, you know, like in terms of maybe they don't, they are not able to have children very easily. They're not having big families. They're having very small families. That's a great point. I'm sure there's some in that gene pool. 
in British wizardry, there has got to be something that is keeping the birth rate down. You see, I always put it as it being, I mean, partially they're all inbred first off, but ignoring that, I always put it down more to a wealth thing. I mean, you see that in real life too, that the wealthy family, like really wealthy people don't have as many kids. So the really wealthy pureblood families don't have as many. I never put it down personally. to. uh, If I can, I'm sorry, but I think genetics is very interesting to me. If you'll notice, we the only wizard muggle relations we know of is a witch and a muggle. There aren't any wizards who married muggle women, which makes me wonder if the wizarding world isn't like doesn't have an overabundance of women because there's... Well, that could just be though that it's easier if you're, not to be too blunt, but if you're a guy who's morally questionable and you're having sex with muggle women, it's easy to hide the fact that you're impregnating them. You either just don't tell anyone in your really small society or you memory charm the woman or something like that. Whereas if you're a woman though that gets pregnant with by having an affair with a muggle born, you can't really hide that as easily. Could be why. Well, I mean, I don't, it's not even that. I mean, like, well, it, Tom Riddle is like that, but I mean, like, Seamus's parents are like regular parents. I mean, it's not illicit. They fell in love and got married. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I never really gave a lot of thought up to it just because I wasn't really very common. Yeah, I don't think there are, are there any, any I mean, there's lots of muggle borns marrying pure bloods or half bloods, but are there many instances of wizards or witches, whatever their background, marrying actual muggles? There's the Finnegans, yeah. there's the Snapes, there's the, the Riddles, if you want to count I, them. That's true, actually, I take that. Yeah, you're right, the Snapes, I forgot about the Snapes. Ted, Ted Tonks is muggle-born. The muggle-born, that's right. That damn space. Mm-hmm. And then my, my other thing was Death Roll's argument, right? His mm-hmm. argument about how the sort of blood racism, however you want to call it, happens and how they think about it. The major argument as to why these muggle-born people are so bad, what is it? He says there's a history and that in history they have such close ties to the muggles that they will side with the muggles. And that is what has happened historically and they basically they aren't truly of the wizarding world. And that's really the only argument that you see that is made beyond a simple emotional muggles are bad or muggle-borns are bad. Maybe they have that emotion, but in terms of their argument, the only argument that is made is that it's basically their ties they have from being raised by muggles. So if you take that as a given, which, you know, do or don't do, but to follow the logic that someone who had these beliefs would have, if you have that idea, then it would follow that the only way that you can protect yourself and protect wizarding society from that sort of thing happening is to have these children not grow up among muggles. So I'm not saying it's right, but it at least is consistent with well, that I, ideology. I, I think it's very consistent for Lucius to do this. I just think it's, it's, a, it's a sign of his sort of darker side. I understand totally why he wants it. It's, it's logical to me why he would want to do this. It's just not. It's, it's Lucius being a bastard, but a logical bastard. <laughs> But see, I, I, but I kind of disagree with that, Mike, because I think that Lucius is so firmly entrenched in his own ideology that he doesn't see what he's doing as a bad thing. Well, right. He doesn't see it as a bad thing. I'm, I'm talking from our perspective. Like, you know, his I, politics I, are good to him. Oh, you know, I, I agree 100% with you. Lucius, I, I, that's one of the themes of this, sort of, is that none of the Slytherins view themselves as bad people. They view themselves as good people. Lucius probably views himself as, you know, protecting the wizarding world. He's protecting his world from muggle influences. When I say he's, it's his, quote, bastard side, I'm talking sort of from our perspective, not... Right. Well, true. Okay. As in, I, I think that most, and obviously we're, quote, muggles in this, but I think in our world, sort of what he does would be classified as, like, criminal. 
I mean, I, I'm using our moral objective. Like, it's it's difficult. Same, you have the same problem. You talk historically about a lot of things like slavery. You know, well, it's evil, but how do you judge the people who are? And it is difficult. And I see, and I agree with you that Lucius doesn't view it as bad. See, to him, he's totally justified in what he's doing. So, yeah, yeah I agree 100 percent with that. But I think at certain, maybe it's just my bias, but. I can't, even though I 100% agree with you that he thinks he's doing the right thing, it's both A, logical, and B, right from where he's standing. I still say... It serves several purposes for it him. It serves several purposes, but I can't still view it as coming close to... I know my view's biased on my, my society, but I can't help that, even if he, I know why he doesn't think it's bad. Oh, it definitely is. I mean, nobody nobody is trying to argue that it's not bad. Like, no, I'm from yeah. a real perspective. I mean, obviously, no, I'm completely right there with like, you. Right, and, and I guess what I'm saying, what I'm trying to get at, is this is sort of the example of how to use the, the we were using a mafia. Lucius, and this is sort of like a mafia figure in like our popular culture, and that this is sort of the quote mafia side of Lucius, where he's doing it for reasons, and he's still this complex person, and he doesn't view what he's doing as wrong, but in terms terms of larger society views, it's wrong. That's how I would put it. That he's justifying yeah. bad thing. To him, it's right, and to him, he's in the right. But that this is this is supposed to be the other side for us as the reader. This is the other side. There's the side of Lucius, just like when you watch these mafia movies. There's the side of the mafia guy where it's oh, he loves his family, he loves his children, he's trying to protect the people around him. And then you have the scenes where he's killing this person or killing that person. And this, I think, is that equivalency with Lucius, where we've seen as the reader, I guess, we've seen him loving his family, him trying to protect. Harry, and then we see this Protection Act side, or we see him releasing the diary because, oh, it won't hurt a Slytherin, so he thinks. So he'll release the diary. So that's, I guess, how I'd view it. From the reader's perspective, this is supposed to be us seeing the darker side of, of Lucius to go with the lighter side, to make him this complex figure, yeah. if that makes any sense at all. It does. I think the horse has been beaten. It's dead now. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've talked about the Protection Act for like three hours between two podcasts. Oh, all right. Moving on we are now we were jumping around we aren't i don't think we're going chapter by chapter what else we have been happen? kind of we have been kind of because i've been pawing through the chapters that we went it's not been too bad p.s okay well let's see we did some christmas so does that mean we're past christmas should we talk about the like climax of well you know what i love like- by the way i i know i think i love jenna's lines in this I will two things. I think this story, compared to the first year, we see a lot of this other Slytherins. Like, I know Ryan was saying, and I, I wish he was here to comment, that in year one, it's, you have triple telling them apart. They don't seem to have their own character. I think a lot of them, like Jenna and like Tim, get their own personality and become more developed in year two. I, I just really love all of Jenna's teasing Harry about him being the heir of Slytherin. Like, when she goes, uh, when I talk about Hagrid being the heir, she's like, it's impossible. Harry's not tall enough to be Hagrid's grandson. The heir just finished school and married into the Potter family and lived a good life. Or um, say that in parcel tongue, Harry. You know, like all yeah. these little uh, sort of sarcastic, snarky Jenna lines. Yeah, some of it's pretty witty. I'll give him that. <laughs> I like Jenna. But I don't understand why Harry thought he was the heir of Slytherin. I mean, I know that he knows he can speak parcel tongue, but <laughs> I didn't. This whole chapter, chapter 18, where he's down in the chamber and I can command the basilisk and it's like I didn't get where he was coming off on the Lord Potter stuff. I guess before we get to the Lord Potter stuff, I'd be curious what you thought of how he actually defeats Riddle on this, which is, you know, obviously radically different from pulling the the sword out of the hat. 
No, it's no, it's not because he pulled the sword out of the hat to kill the basilisk. He didn't need to because he just told it to go away. Right, that's what I'm asking. That, that's the part that's radically different, is what I mean. Like, like what well, that, do you think? But of then how that's it, what I'm saying is, how does he justify that he's just not another person who can speak parcel tongue? It says that parcel tongues can talk to snakes, and therefore he basilisk is snake, and he should be able to command the basilisk. Well, I think you're skipping a couple of steps, maybe. I don't yeah, know if anyone else. I think they assumed that because I think even in canon he wasn't sure he he was not a hundred percent sure he wasn't the heir of Slytherin, or he he wasn't a hundred percent sure that there wasn't a connection because very true. Yeah, he I doesn't just, know how he can speak parcel tongue, right? Remember, because I mean one. they don't get. I don't think it's very. There's a very thin line between the ability to speak parcel tongue and the Slytherin family line. So I think, I mean, and we never hear of a legitimate case outside of that family. Harry was able to speak parcel tongue because he was a Horcrux. So that means that Voldemort was able to speak it because of his, his hereditary. So I would say that the fact that he could, that parcel tongue would assume that if somebody could speak parcel tongue, you would assume that they were related to Slytherin. Yeah, I think that's kind of basically what it is. I think and that I was think- just kind of one of those plot holes that I didn't well, get. I think it's, I well, because the, the reason in canon that he doesn't seriously think he's the heir of Slytherin is because he's in Gryffindor. Now, when he mm-hmm. is in Slytherin, he does think he might be the heir of Slytherin. Yeah, because they don't yeah. never. Cause they, we don't know the explanation of because there's no way he he doesn't know he's not petrifying the people because Ginny didn't. You know, at first Ginny didn't. But know we know that he's not the heir of Slytherin, so I guess that in our minds we have to justify and accept the fact that because he is a Horcrux. He can command the basilisk. No, well, what, no what it is? There's two things. Point, we didn't know that. They're skipping at a couple. Point, we didn't. Yeah, he can control the basilisk because he could speak parcel tongue. In canon, he heard the basilisk. He didn't want to talk to the basilisk, but he heard it. Right. Right. That's what I'm saying, though. Take, I, just, I take step by step. It's kind of like if he, he goes if into he there. Wanted to talk to the basilisk. He could have. He could have. I mean, he talked to other snakes. He talked to the snake in the zoo and stuff. Yeah, the argument no, no, I'm, that I'm saying basilisk. that. I just supposedly yeah, yeah. it was the basilisk was controlled by the heir of Slytherin. But here's the argument. The argument is this: that it's not that basilisks are controlled by the heir of Slytherin, or this basilisk is controlled by the heir of Slytherin. It's that they actually say this in the story. At what Harry says this at one point, it's that they're is that they listen to people who speak parcel tongue but in great britain the only people who speak parcel tongue period are the descendants of slytherin no one else speaks parcel tongue so the, the basilisk even though harry actually isn't the heir of slytherin the basilisk listens to him because there's nothing particularly special about being the heir of slytherin that makes it listen again he says this because he can hear it i mean he can hear he's, it because he, he speaks. can speak parcel tongue. i mean the basilisk maybe it's dumb and maybe it like listens to whatever anybody tells it like if i could speak parcel tongue it would listen to me or i mean if, if the basilisk right. understood english it would listen to ron right there's a line in the chapter that says and harry says it out loud i think at one point that basilisks listen to people who speak, speak parcel tongue if you had a bulgarian wizard with no relation to Slytherin, it's right here it obeys the air but it listens to me too right and he thinks this out because this is what the argument goes is that it's not that Slytherins only the air of Slytherin can control the basilisk it's that only heirs of Slytherin up until this time up until Harry can speak parcel tongue so because it's kind of like this well everyone who's spoken parcel tongue has been the heir of Slytherin so therefore only the heirs of Slytherin have been able to control the monster kind of thing Harry proves that it's not 
being a direct heir of Slytherin, it's speaking parcel tongue that matters. But because this is, has always been the case that it's that only heirs of Slytherin speak parcel tongue, he makes this wrong jump and assumption that oh, this must mean that somewhere in my line, I too am the heir of Slytherin. Yeah, I mean, it's any, I forget what the name for this in logic speak, but it's looking at a group and like assuming it's X because there's no Y. If an alien from Mars came and like looked at the United States, they might assume that we only allow men to be president because only presidents have been men. You know, do you get what I mean? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. So it's it's like that. I think the other thing was, I guess I interpreted when I was reading this book that it was sort of a more, I took a more general definition of an heir of Slytherin being more someone who, that it wasn't like a, there would only be a single heir of Slytherin oh. ever. You know, like, you know, so do you, you know, it's, is it like, it's almost like being able to pull the sword out of the hat. Like, I think, yeah. I almost wonder if even, like, Harry, if you embody the traits exactly. that Slytherin believed in, maybe you can be the heir of Slytherin. That's actually mm-hmm. how I originally took it, too, when I read that it. That helps me understand, to think about it from an ancestry point where... I think yeah. you can make both okay. arguments, kind of. But yeah, mm-hmm. I actually originally took it as Omelie did. Because I even say, I think it's Jenna, but I don't really remember. Someone makes a point of, well, they say only an heir of Slytherin can open the Chamber of Secrets. And you opened it, Harry. It wasn't already open. You opened it. So he sort of takes that, and then he takes the fact that he can command the Basilisk. Once he takes that power unto himself, and he, instead of being a, oh, only dark wizard do that sort of thing, where he says, you know what? So what? I'm in Slytherin. Yes, I can speak to snakes. Cool. Go me. You know? <laughs> yeah. And he just, he accepts that about himself. And, and suddenly, between, he pulls those things all together and he embodies what it is to be Slytherin's heir. He has the right value. He has the right ability. He has yes. the right ambition. And suddenly, it occurs to him, I am the heir of Slytherin. Not the being in a, there's only one, but in a, it's me too. You know, this this memory of Tom Riddle, it can't be the only one. Or, you know, because he accepts that Tom Riddle was the heir of Slytherin. But at the same time, he feels that he is the heir of Slytherin. In order to do that, he has to accept the idea that there's not the singular quality that makes him the heir of Slytherin. Sort of like the same way that, you know, like only a true Gryffindor can wield the sword. Harry, sort of the heir of Gryffindor. I'm doing quotes with my fingers. Heir of Gryffindor. It's, and... it's like, well, what it is, it's like back when we were speculating about stuff, a lot of people thought that Harry was the heir of Gryffindor because he was able to pull the sword out of the hat. They thought true Gryffindor meant the heir of Gryffindor, like literally related to Gryffindor. So it's like, but then again, what you find out is that no, it means you embody the characteristics that Godric Gryffindor valued. And I even believe that say if like Harry gets in this book gets better that he might be able to pull the sword out of that. True. I like Omni's interpretation a lot. Mm. Omni's a smart girl. Omni rocks. <laughs> I spend too much time thinking. I can say that I didn't think that it was in character for this Harry in this story to immediately grasp the deduction that the Basilisk Fang would kill the diary. You didn't or you did? I didn't. I kind of liked that. And I almost, I also liked the fact that the Basilisk in this wasn't a, I think this ties to a theme JK has, where it's not, it's not an evil, mindless monster. It's evil. It's a dangerous creature. Like a dragon's a dangerous creature. And it does evil because of the uses that man puts it to. And so Harry is 100% the right one. He doesn't want to kill just because it happens to be a basilisk. It itself wasn't evil. It was Voldemort who was evil and putting it to evil use. 
True. Just like giants aren't evil. They're just put to evil use kind of thing. Mm, giants could be evil, though. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> or a dragon isn't evil. It's put... It's an animal. I mean, it can't yeah, exactly. be evil. I mean, that's like saying, <laughs> that's like these dogs. I mean, you have, like, people train these dogs to, you know, be mean, but that doesn't make dogs mean. I mean, it's just people train it to do it. I mean, it's an animal. It Thank you, P.S. That's much better put than I was putting it. That's what I was driving at, yeah. Um, so I kind also of... on the... No, go ahead. On the note of the air of Slytherin, because I think we're going to pretty much go on after this, I wanted to say I thought it was really interesting in a literary perspective how much um, the students knew about the Heir of Slytherin and the Chamber of Secrets was introduced. Because I feel like in some fics I read, you know, oh, the Slytherins already know about it, you know? This is their heritage. They know. Even if they don't discuss it with everyone else. I sort of like the fact that here, it was a long time ago, you know? It was 50 years or whatever. And it sort of passed from common memory. It's something that we don't talk about so that the younger students don't know anything about what is this about the Chamber of Secrets and they need Finns to talk about it and they need to hear about it from Lucia. You know, like they need to be told the story because they don't already have that, which you could go either way with with this story. So I just thought it was an interesting choice. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. And then the other thing was I really liked with this whole discussing the air of Slytherin and how Snape comes in and talks to the house in general and how he talks to Harry specifically about, you know, the challenges he's going to face as a parcel tongue. I like the little descriptions of how frazzled Snape seems during this time when it comes out, the air has returned, and, you know, in all this cryptic writing on the walls with blood, Snape is really, really frazzled, and you see that come out, and I really like that because it does have this almost personal quality where he says to Harry, you know, that when they say the air, they mean the air of Slytherin, and they're going to be looking at us first. Right. You know, and I just, I felt that was something I hadn't really thought about as far as aspects of this whole era of Slytherin plotline and canon, but was really interesting to have explored here because of the setup. And the more I think about it, the more I like Omelie's version a lot better of what the era of Slytherin means. Yeah, um, I think it's it's very plausible. It's good. It helps me to understand it better now because I was thinking of the air being singular and not mm-hmm. ancestral. So what do you think, though, of the actual Lord Potter bit, which I think is kind of like the sort of dun-dun-dun-dun. I didn't dig it. The whole Percy on his knees thing, I wasn't sure what to think about that part. Jen, I want to say this because I think I said it last week, is that we're all talking about, like, the way that we're reading this, and I am reading it as, like, a scary story. It's, like, creepy in a good way. Like, ooh, you know, it's, it sends shivers down your spine because it's so creepy. Like Coven? Maybe, but different. But so, like, I li- like I, I know, like, on a surface level, like, taking it completely seriously, it, I didn't, I don't like it, but if you look at it as... As being something that's like supposed to be creepy and fun, like I yeah. Part of me didn't know whether Harry was doing it to be cheeky with his friends, or if he was really at a point where the story could arc down and literally in year five or whatever's not written that Harry could actually be evil. Yeah. I don't think Harry knows. I think it's kind of this seesaw thing where is he going to? Tur- I, th- I think that's the interesting part of it is the question of. 
what is he going to be turning? There's a couple of ways that you, you can look at it in the one sense. Does he mean Lord Potter in the sense that it's Lord Malfoy? Or is it Lord Potter in the sense that it's Lord Voldemort? And that crossed my mind, too. I was thinking of British gentry just as well as I was thinking of him being cheeky and like, oh, I'm Lord Potter. But it was really kind of, as P.S. said, it was kind of a, a creepy time for me because I, I started Harry I from about... Creepy. Yeah, from about this point on, Harry starts to lose some of his redeeming qualities for me because he gets more... Dark. He acts a lot more like a jackass from here on out. His good moments kind mm-hmm. of wane. He's yeah. more comfortable with hexing people. He's more comfortable with yeah. talking back to them. And that's what made me unsettled about the whole Lord Potter thing because I wondered how he was embracing the fact that he believed that he was an heir of Slytherin. Yeah, it's a turning point. I don't think, personally... I don't know if others disagree with me. I don't think it's a symbol of him turning. I don't think where the thick is going is that he winds up a Lord Voldemort double kind of thing. Though I do like the fact that there's sort of this echo where you see it even, you see it in canon, you see it even more in these fics of how parallel Harry's life is to Tom Riddle's life. This in one sense, one dimension is another echo of how parallel their lives are. Like you can imagine a similar scene with Tom Riddle in one of his years where there's some sort of moment where the first people swear to him as a lord kind of thing. And right. on the other, the other dimension though is his acceptance of this more general pure blood sort of by, which also isn't good, but sort of more of the Malfoy vein of it is I think what he's accepting. This idea that he wants, and I think with his exposure, the significance, by the way, I think of those parties that we touched on briefly, the Christmas party and the New Year's party, is that this is him sort of into the larger pure blood culture. And I think from this exposure, part of him wants to become Lucius Malfoy, because that's sort of his adult role model. Scary as that is, his adult role model up to this point is Lucius Malfoy. And so I think a part of him kind of wants to be this rich, powerful, respected, pure blood lord. Part of him does. Or that's sort of what he views as the ultimate, or what a Slytherin should be striving for. Like, Lucius Malfoy is the Slytherin kind of thing. Yeah, I agree with that. And that's what I said, is that it made me wonder whether he was being cheeky or creepy. I think, yeah, I think he might have set out to be cheeky, and then it kind of got ended out of up, hand. Yeah. Ended like, up creepy. <laughs> Yeah, you can't, like he wanted to be cheeky, but he couldn't do it. He wound up creepy. Yeah, I did, but but still, the whole Percy on his knees and I pledge my life for you. And well, I don't know if I like the word creepy. It's more we feel creeped out by it, but I don't think Harry felt creeped out by it. I, I think Harry felt. I don't know. Amelie can maybe help me because she's good at <laughs> the pressure. Um... <laughs> I think two things going on here. I mean, he's definitely, he's feeling this sort of peer pressure of, cause he's like, I don't know about this, you know? And they're like, no, this is a good idea. It's a good idea, you know? <laughs> I think he wants to be this influential, um. He wants to be respected. Yeah, he wants to be respected and he doesn't really know how to get there. And yes, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of, you know, if Lucius is his role model, he sees Lucius pulling strings for him at the ministry and he sees you know like pushing through these bills and all this stuff he sees that sort of influence and basically that argument ends up winning him over like the last argument that's made and he goes all right okay is think about this you know years from now like i know you don't want this now but think about it for your future you know, because uh-huh. you need to be able to call in those favors later in life. And that's yeah. the last argument that's made before he says, oh, okay. Who is it that, if we had to say in canon, who is it that Harry wants to be? Depending on when we're talking, he either wants to be 
Sirius. We see his father, but he doesn't really know what his father's like. Dumbledore, um, Sirius. Dumbledore, Sirius, or Arthur Weasley, depending at different points in time. But obviously, none of those are an option here. So who does he want to be like? Who is his role model? It's, it's Lucius Malfoy. It's Knott's father, Mr. Knott, whose first name I'm forgetting, if we were even told his first name. Uh, and, and so that's who he's modeling himself. And that's his idea of what's a successful person mm-hmm. in his life. It's, it's not sort of the brave, moral person who stands up for the downtrodden. The successful person in Slytherin is the Lucius Malfoy. Lord. And, and speaking, of, speaking of role models, I completely forgot to bring this up earlier. It made me sad that they considered Hagrid to be a drunk. Yeah, I didn't really get that from, hell, I didn't even really get that from canon. Like, I know it's something that people bring up all the time, but I didn't get, I mean, he, he does at times drink, but he's not drunk. Well, we talked yeah. about this a lot in the first episode. and It just made me sad because Hagrid was really one of Harry's adults that he could count on and he depended on. And again, I'm having to leave canon behind because Hagrid and canon is different than this one. You don't have to accept that Death Row wrote him that way. But it makes me sad that he's a drunk. But I don't think it's not. What I think you could argue is it's not that he's a drunk in this. It's that this is how the Slytherins always viewed him. And that it's, they don't view him like this for no reason. There are, like we, when we're reading it through Harry's perspective, and I think in reality, Hagrid's not a drunk, just for the record. I don't think, I think Hagrid is a good no, guy. No, I don't think he, I don't but, think he is either. I just think it's sad that that's how he's been written. Yeah, but I think the reason he's, I think there's, well, partially from a plot perspective, you ha- you can't have Hagrid influencing Harry, because it would screw up the plot. But I think this is how the Slytherins really view Hagrid, and I don't think they're pulling this view out of nowhere. There is canon text of Hagrid going off, leaving Harry and going for a pick-me-up. That's canon. You know, him drinking from the flask, that's canon. So, it's not so much that I think he's really a drunk, as I can see why Slytherins dislike him, would characterize him as a drunk. That, to me, makes sense. And I don't think it's them being 100% pulling this from thin air. They may be wrong, but they're basing it on actual observations, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Okay, but okay. so you had asked previously, you said, what is about what Harry was feeling with Lord Potter? Mm-hmm. And I mean, and I, I know we did touch a little bit on the um, second episode about how there's sort of, in some aspects, we have a lack of what Harry is feeling here. And maybe that's, you know, what Jen was saying earlier about, you know, maybe it's because this is a male author, not so touchy-feely in what Harry is feeling at every moment. But yeah, we don't we don't get a lot of his insight yeah. of what his mind is thinking. And I think that was one of the, the things that was hard for me about reading it is I wanted to be in his head more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have liked it. I'd be curious what he was thinking in a lot of parts too. Yeah, definitely. I think yeah. that's one of the uh, problems that I have writing is that just doesn't dwell a lot on the thoughts of the characters, which could be useful. Yeah, but I'd even again, be curious. Yeah. Part of the reason I love the missing scenes so much is I love seeing a little bit, when possible, what other characters are thinking of Harry. Like even if it's just snip. Like that's why I love the overhearing Hermione so much in this one. I love hearing what the people who use what the Remus Lupins or the Siriuses or the Ron Weasleys or whoever's or the Hagrids now think of Harry and how they're viewing Harry, just like I like seeing how Harry views them in this. Are we um, firmly into book three at this point? I think we are. I think we just yeah. put book two to bed. Yeah, any last, I guess, things on book yeah, two? Yeah, last thoughts on book two. No. And I guess the, were you saying something, P.S.? No, I was saying that, I was saying no, that I don't have any uh, more thoughts on book two. I have one note that I yeah. could hear that is a, it's a really stupid minor thing. What's that? Is it just me or is Harry really uncomfortable in his clothes all the time? He's always like, 
I noticed that too. He's always, yeah, he's never comfortable. Well, and then again, in in book three, he decides that he's going to embrace being a wizard and he's going to change in front of everybody else. It's like, to me, Harry's just really uncomfortable with a lot of things. I think that's, I always, I put the clothing thing down to him being almost sort of like a Ron, how Ron feels in parts in canon, how the sort of like, I put all, red hair. sorry, red hair. That Ron <laughs> is embarrassed of his red hair. No, I, I was thinking about Ron and his clothes. I, like, I don't think Harry feels fully comfortable in the wizarding society, partially because of his muggle background and partially because he's not from a wealthy area. Like, I think he worries about how he looks to them. And like, yeah, does like he, a- so you're saying that Harry is worried about gray underpants? Yeah. Yeah. In a sense, <laughs> Harry's, wor- yeah. Oh, that brings something up. Oh, 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 that brings something up that just made me cringe. And, you know, we don't have a Brit on to counteract it. But Harry's talking about his knickers. He does it twice. There are only girls wearing knickers. Only? That's the very first thing I thought. I'm like, you're knickers. knickers. You're wearing pants. Harry, Harry's Harry, a cross-dresser. Maybe Harry is wearing knickers. Maybe Harry is wearing girls' underwear. <laughs> don't judge yeah, because he talks about it. He talks about it at Christmas. He's only wearing his knickers under his robes, you know, and then he's thinking about it again, you know, that he's only wearing his later on when he finally gets to Malfoy Manor and, and wearing his knickers. It's like I wanted to reach through my screen and strangle Death Roll for writing knickers at that moment. You know, I'm like, well, you've done all this work to build well, Harry up. Well, clearly you have no respect for Harry who who enjoys girls' underwear. I mean, well, where's your respect for the cross, Jesser, Jen? Jen, I have no basis. I have no basis. Aren't, aren't, isn't girls' underwear just cooler than guys? I mean, wouldn't you rather wear girls' underwear? Of course I would, but I have no basis from the writing thus far in this fic that <laughs> that Harry is transgendered or a cross-dresser. Or has I any... happen to think they're just more comfortable. <laughs> you know, because when I read it, <laughs> this is really bad. <laughs> Uh, does anyone else have the vision right now of the title of this episode being the, the vision- Harry and Girls Underwear or something like that? Or Harry you know, I, I read about Harry and Girls Underwear. Yeah, I read, you know, Harry's wearing his knickers. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm thinking, Here is a oh, picture of Harry's I, knickers. I, 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 was I, thinking wanna... about, I was thinking about Harry and, you know, like a tea back, And I'm like, eww. <laughs> 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 you know, I'm thinking about Harry with butt floss, and <laughs> I'm thinking I think about. He, I'm just, I just think he likes frilly pink panties. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, I didn't. When I read Harry's knickers, I'm not thinking about him and his wife friends. So I'm thinking about him and some, you know, like bad lace. Song, <laughs> and and then I got over it. Oh man, this see, is see those panties. P.S. They're those are those are conservative compared to what. I <laughs> but then you well, know he's even only, he's only okay. thirteen. He's pr- I mean he I mean later on he'll probably. I don't know thirteen year old girls these days. P.S. I don't I'm know. not sure his equipment would fit in those panties. <laughs> This is the highlight of this episode right here. But, like, there are guys that do wear women's underwear, so what do they do with their thing? I think it falls out. Uh, They tape it up. I thought they taped it to them, though. Okay, this is too much information. Too much information. Mike doesn't even want to think about putting tape on it, does he? No, I don't. No, No, I don't see Harry as a penis taper. Let's just call it what it is, folks. It's biology. His thingy. (laughs) 
Good God. How did we get onto this topic? Well, Death Roll did it. He wrote Knickers. That's just the title, that's this the is title like, of the episode. He should have had a better Brit picker at that point. Harry Knickers is the title of this episode, yes. It has Death, to be the title of this Death episode. Death listen to me at this point. Do not ever write Harry and Knickers again. <laughs> that's my PSA for tonight. No more Knickers. Harry Closet Crossdresser. Oh. I have a question slash observation about these Knickers. Isn't he still wearing it's hand-me-downs? <laughs> Is no, that a slash observation? For- Okay. First year Christmas, he gets Just want to make sure that he didn't get them from Dudley. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, that just makes it ten times worse. <laughs> no, I figured by this point he would have had to buy new new underwear. You know, he has I grown think, a lot. I picture his underwear as, like, being the cheapest underwear they make that Aunt Petunia buys, like, in a packet. Like, I'm okay. sure. Okay. I, I think it's enough about Harry's underwear for a while. I think Harry probably wears tidy whities Oh, definitely. <laughs> Like, see, I always read these, like, fics that have him in, like, boxers. There's no way he's wearing boxers. Dude, No, I don't God. see him. No, I don't see him. No. Harry I doesn't act like somebody who... I like girls right now. I have to say that. Because <laughs> you are. <laughs> no, I don't. I think you have to have a certain kind of personality to wear boxers, and, and I don't see Harry in them. I don't see him as free-falling. <laughs> I just don't. I think guys have to be... I, there's something about the confidence factor. I. It sounds like we need to take a survey. Yeah. All right. Men of men of Pufwa, boxers or briefs? I wear boxers. I could see you being a boxer person. When I grew I up, though. I see you. I could consider you being a boxer person. But in all honesty, when and where I grew up, every boy my age wore boxers. Like, you'd be kind of, you'd be made fun of if you wore tidy whities Did yeah, you strip in front of your friends often? Well, you know, when you in were like gym in gym class. class or... Yeah, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt that he had to uh, change his uh, gym shirt. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm talking about, or like, if you just, you know, if you said that you wore tidy whities or if you were in gym class and you change, you get laughed at. See, to, well, we're not going to go there. I'm not saying it's nice. We're talking like 13-year-old well, boy. Me, that, but then that makes me question, you know, if you're a 13-year-old boy in boxer shorts and then you put on your gym shorts and then you go bounce around in gym, that would be really uncomfortable. I, I don't I, I managed, I suppose. What can I say? <laughs> I mean, that would be like me, you know, going without, you know. I wore sweatpants, actually, in gym. So. Really uncomfortable, you know, when I'm bouncing around. <sighs> okay, we are can, going to move yeah, on. Anyway. <laughs> Why don't and we talk anyway. about year three? I, I was going to say, <laughs> oh, before yeah. we got on uh, cross-dressing Harry, I think a good segue, because it kind of it's the close of year two and the opening of year three. You know what I just realized? The word segue is like segue. For some reason, that was just, for some reason, when you said that, I just realized it was the same as a scooter. You just said segue. Mm-hmm. I suppose, I don't, what, is that more mafia talk for me? What? Yes, I'm yes, confused. it's more mafia talk. <laughs> I mean, that you're saying That's you're making fun of my word. accent? No, no, no. It's just like, okay, you know the segue. Ways the scooters. No, I don't actually. Yes, okay. you do, but we're yes, you do, but we're not going to go there. Okay. Yes, noted, but we don't want to get Mike off on this again. Okay. Because he can't remember that peon cast, and I had to edit the damn thing. Let's just not get him on it. Which yeah, cast? Skype me which peon cast we're talking about. Because I'm curious. Um, it was the one with um. Here's a picture. I Mike. I private so that nobody yeah, else has to know. I privately skyped Mike. A you sent him the airport Mike. picture, didn't you? Yes, it is the same airport. Airport picture with those two crazy looking cops at the airport. It was oh, either six, yeah, yeah, six or seven. It was either episode six or seven. Okay, but yeah. yeah. Okay, Mike. 
Anyway, back on top. Steer the ship. Yes. So I, I think a good connection between uh, <laughs> year two and year three that can get us sort of bridge the gap for us, the embodiment word, is uh, when Harry goes back and he's obviously, they lock him in his room and that's sort of the first thing that then leads up to him hexing them is him, you know, and, and I think one of the themes of this is his relationship with the Dursleys deteriorates a lot faster because of him being in Slytherin than it does in canon. That, you know, like by year two, he's worse off with the Dursleys than he is at any time in canon in terms of his relationship. And um, and he takes it a lot worse, too. Where I think Ken and Harry would kind of been, like, annoyed and whatever at being locked off. Yeah, Ken and Harry was resigned. You know, he yeah, was resigned. resigned that he had to be there. And this Harry... Flips out when he's locked in. Well, yeah, but this Harry is, you know, I don't have to put up with this, and I'm not going to. You know, you're just muggles. Again, with the entitlement. The prejudice. Yeah. But I was pissed off at Vernon. At who? You're pissed at off at who? Vernon. Oh, Vernon. Oh, I thought you said Merman. I thought you meant like you were a mad at me. No, no. <laughs> no, I was just pissed at the way, you know, they locked him in his room. And then I, I wondered why Harry even stayed. But I wondered why at the train station he even bothered when he went into Diagon Alley. I wondered why he didn't just get a room at the Leaky. Force it, Abbott. Did they occurred. even know... Has Dumbledore even told him at this point that he has to stay with them for the blood protection to work? Like, I mean, he may not. Have, no. I know. I don't think they not got that the blood protection, but does he know there's a not reason? That we've, no. Not that we've read so far, no. Lucius huh. Malfoy knows there's a reason, but he doesn't know what, and Harry doesn't know at all. Dumbledore, I remember we were seeing one of the earlier episodes, we thought that maybe Dumbledore might have purposely arranged things so that Dursleys wouldn't give him permission to go with the Malfoys that first Christmas. But no, Dumbledore hasn't told Harry, because obviously they don't have the same sort of relationship as we'll see later on in year three. But yeah, and I guess, and the other difference is when he hexes them, correct me if I'm misremembering canon, but in canon it was accidental magic, wasn't right. it? He didn't, he yeah. didn't do it on purpose. Well, right. yeah, there was no wand, he just got angry and at it, Aunt Marge and she blew up. Whereas this, he still loses his temper, but it's not accidental magic, it's him hexing them all. Yeah. He- and I think that Harry's control, he definitely, he was very impulsive when he did it. He lost a lot of, he almost went too far. It's like he could have stopped at some point, and he just kept going back and making it worse. Oh, he, he did go. I mean, if it wasn't for the fact that it was covered up, I don't think Fudge could have swept this as easily under the rug as he does in canon. It's a lot more serious, anyway, is my right. Yeah, I just thought this was a a really good example of where Harry loses control of his emotions. And you know what's telling to me, too, is that Lucius Malfoy expected this. It's it's not Lucius Malfoy, you know, Harry telling Lucius Malfoy what he did and then Malfoy going to fix it. It's Malfoy knowing Harry well enough and knowing Harry the Slytherin. I think it's partially knowing Harry well enough and partially knowing how a Slytherin would act well enough. And Harry is now and always a Slytherin that he knows this is sort of inevitable coming sometime down the line. And he prepares for it ahead of time. Yeah, because he says, he says right here in the middle of all of this while he's hexing, hear me now, Harry hissed darkly at them all. I could kill you all and Merlin knows I want to. Again, we're at that point where he is very, very dark. His character has, has gotten dark and that's where. Not there. I could kill you. I mean, that's, that's not the sort of thing Harry would yell normally in canon. No, he's a lot more resigned and accepted of how he's going to be treated by the Dursleys and him losing it. I could see him hexing him early well. I think maybe even Draco or Tim or the girls, you know, they could see them getting off a really good hex on them. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he just, he didn't just do that. He was borderline, if he knew the, the Cruciatus curse, that he could lay it on him. Yeah. 
And I guess, too, something else when, when you just read out that stuck out to me and is definitely a theme throughout year three, especially the first half, is he goes Merlin, whatever it was he said, Merlin, damn you, Merlin, whatever you, um, or by Merlin, that he, this significant conscious decision to try to erase the muggle in himself and adopt sort of pure blood culture, pure blood turns of phrase, and so on, which I see is another possible, we don't know for sure, but I, I can almost imagine Tom Riddle doing the coming to the same sort of decision and doing the same sort of thing at some point. And another one of these parallels between the two of them where I've got to erase my muggle past and embrace sort of pure blood culture around me. I just what? put the underwear away and I saw what PS changed the topic to. But you changed the topic. I had it I had it covered up. I just minimized oh, I just minimized the pink panties. Wow. PS <laughs> Um, uh. <laughs> That's definitely got to become part of the title. <laughs> what what year is it? Is it year three in canon that Harry um, winds up, takes the wrong flu exit, and winds up? In no, the, that's in that's in chambers. That's what I thought. It's interesting. It happens in year three here, and I also thought when he goes in there, it's particularly another little telling point is who when he's nervous, who is it that he falls back on and mimics? He, he's mimicking how Draco would act in this sort of situation. Yeah, I did notice that too. I thought it was interesting that, you know, when he wasn't sure of how to act, that he acted like Lucius. You know, even though he wanted to bail and get out of there, you know, he modeled what he thought Lucius would do to try to fix the situation. And poor Arthur Weasley. I know, his center working on the night bus. You know, I mean, okay, the Weasley bashing. I know that the Slytherins hate the Gryffindors and, you know, the whole thing going back and forth. The poor man lost his job. He's got all those kids. You know, he's got Molly. And now he's just driving the night bus. He's a good guy. I mean, that is, he's not portrayed as a bad person in the story. He's portrayed. No, it just, you know, there are certain things about the Weasleys that are just hard to swallow. And him driving the night bus was just. It's going too far. It's like, why would you just, like, make it so unfortunate for them? Like, what's the point of it? Hard to swallow because you think it's. Because you think he would never drive the night bus, or just because you no, think, I think no, I think no, I think no, I think that Arthur would do whatever Arthur had to do for his family. Mm-hmm. I just think that it was sad that he was written to fall so low. Mm-hmm. I think he's meant to be sad. I mean, it is yeah, you know, because I thought he was in the centaur office. He's he, he's working two jobs because the centaur office doesn't pay enough. This is sort of like his second night job. Oh, I didn't see. I okay. Well, if he's working two jobs, then he's being Arthur. But at this point. I'd been cramming so much of this in my head, I didn't think that far ahead that he was working two jobs to make ends meet. But I still felt really bad for Arthur. And he's still trying to be helpful to Harry. Because at one point, Molly is still Molly-ish at one point because she sends Harry food. And it was good. And it was good food. So that made me sad that even though Ron is a complete butthead, that his parents were still decent people. You could argue the only Weasley whose personality seems different from canon is Ron. But then again, Ron's acting pretty much like Ron acted towards Draco all the time. Yeah. Well, but I mean, different from canon is, I mean, he just doesn't have he yeah. doesn't have the benefit of Hermione to rein him in, or Harry for that matter. He's just or Harry. Person. Yeah. But you have to remember that Hermione distilled a lot. Lot of those confrontations. Well, I think it's. Yeah. I think. I think Hermione sort of gave him his common sense. A lot of Ron's common sense and a lot of Ron's. I, I think Harry gives a lot to Ron too in terms of self control, self control, and and, and, and a pre, like self worth almost. If that makes sense, I don't know if you agree with me. That, that I yeah, think I Harry, do kind of. I think, 
Harry's the one that helps Ron get over sort of his jealousies about money, about this or that. In the end, I mean, it takes a few books to get there. The argument is obviously that Ron is still Ron. This is Ron without Hermione and Harry, where without their influences, Harry's like the Gryffindor Draco. And that's, but I think the rest of his brothers and the rest of his family, I should say, how Harry perceives them. But obviously, I think the argument is they're all the same, just from different perspectives. But I don't think the perspective changes the character of Arthur, Molly, Percy, or even the twins that much. The twins aren't really in it. I was glad to see Sirius so early. And that Sirius, he actually got to pet Sirius and Sirius wasn't a grim. I know you wish. Come on, Sirius, turn into a man and explain it now before it's too late. (laughs) I know. Now, see, I haven't read past chapter 10 or whatever that is, or chapter 6, so I don't know what happens after chapter 6. We won't tell you. I'm committing to reading past chapter 6. There's some interesting stuff in year 3. I think there's a lot of the dynamic of which way Harry's going when he's exposed to Remus, and you sort of see, first of all, you see him interacting with Dumbledore more, which is interesting, and you're sort of setting up for what I see as this pull between Remus and Sirius and the Malfoys and Knots on the other side. It's sort of like these two worlds pulling at Harry. So um, we talked about the broom a bit when it is Diagon Alley We want to talk about the rock and roll music. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the way we go at these rock and roll shows or whatever the line is. Yeah. What'd you think, P.S.? Well, I thought it was interesting. Which is, where is the one, because what I really wanted to talk about, which is, where is the line about muggle trainers versus wizard trainers? Because that really threw me. I don't, I, have we had I that? I don't remember where that is. It was not in this chapter. It was in the previous. Oh, it's somewhere oh, there. My bad. I just saying, like, it really surprised me. I don't know why, or not that, I, I don't know how to phrase it, but, like, wiz- muggle stuff translated into wizardness always throws me for a loop because it doesn't make sense to me. What do you mean exactly? Well, this muggle wizard rock music or wizard trainers. Like, no, these these, these things aren't wizard things. They're muggle things. That There's no wizard word. There aren't any. What do you mean by wizard? The trainers are, they're saying that wizards don't make trainers because they couldn't make them as well. Isn't that what they're saying? Or am I just misremembering? No, there was, they were saying there is a line somewhere in this story, and it may not be in this chapter, but it's somewhere in the story about how these are wizard trainers and and you have a, a wizard, tr- a brand of wizard trainers, as opposed to like that's a Muggle brand. So yeah, I, it was in the first year at some point. Because there's also a conversation where Draco's going on about how Muggles make better trainers at some point in yeah. year. Yeah, because they actually have to walk versus riding a broomstick. But as for the music, I, that sort of seems can be because we know there's bands. I mean, it's obviously what's her face, the, the woman that Molly Weasley likes. But there's Celestina also Warwick. But there's also that band that whose name is slipping my mind. Weird Sisters. Weird Sisters. Who that also has a vibe where there's there's clearly a. It seems to me like there's a connection to sort of modern music and the Weird Sisters a little bit. I get that vibe from it. I mean, it's not spelled out, but that's sort of the vibe I took from their name, is that they're kind of like a wizarding version of a modern rock band. I guess there's clearly musical bands. Music seems like the sort of thing that would kind of cross over a little bit. I don't know. Okay, I'll buy that. What does anyone else think? Anything on that? Not really. I mean, this whole chapter to me was just kind of inconsequential because pretty much all they did was buy their books and go to a concert. I guess there are a couple of things I think. The reason you have these chapters are these are... I mean, well, they're us, transitional. They're transitional. And I think for us to buy that Harry is becoming sort of this member of pure blood society, we have to see him being exposed to it a lot outside of school, maybe. So I think that helps. And a couple of things that stuck out to me from these chapters is... Um, 
Harry using his fame, using his fame to get autographs, which is very Slytherin, and to get his friends up there. Yeah, it stuck. And the other thing that stuck out to me too was Malfoy, Lucius Malfoy, giving money to the, um, like not like bribe money, but like drinking money <laughs> to the owner of the bookstore. Is it, is it Mr. Blot or Mr. Flor, whatever his name is? What's his name? P.S. Uh, Flourish and Blots? You mean? Yo, who's the, well, who's the book owner? What's his name? Did we get his name? The owner of the bookstore? You mean which one it is? I forget which one it was. Whichever one he is anyway, where Lucius Malfoy is giving him money. And it just occurred to me that in canon, the only influence we see Lucius Malfoy ever trying to amass is sort of at like the high up ministry level where he's like bags of gold to fudge. And to me, this sort of seemed like a more intelligent Lucius Malfoy, where it's not just, you're not just trying to make the top politicians like you, you're trying to make kind of the shop workers, the wizarding middle class respect the Malfoy name a little bit. Yeah, it's like he doesn't want to be known as a bad tipper. Yeah, so that's what I pulled out of those early chapters anyway. That's all I have in my notes. I don't know, does anyone else have anything on these early chapters? No, because then once they get on the train, because we read up through six, so once they get on the train, it's very similar to canon with the the Death Eater, I mean, not the Death Eater, the Dementor, and and the Remus. (laughs) Uh, The Remus. What I would be interested in hearing, since from Gen 2, since everyone else has read the whole thing, is your predictions for year three and where it's heading, and the things that will change and the things that will stay the same. See, that's Really, at, at this point, that's really difficult for me because I'm not sure how he's going to handle this. No or prediction how- or guess about how he's going to handle the whole the whole storyline, I guess, of year three? I'll have to put you on the spot. I'm just curious. No, because I've really been asking that question to myself. That's why I said it was worth going beyond the chapters I had to do for tonight because I needed to know. <laughs> because I wasn't really sure how he was spinning Chamber until Percy ended up and Slytherin, and Jenny was actually written into the story, I wasn't really sure how he was spinning that. And here we know that Sirius has had contact with him by way of his dog. He's been there as Padfoot. We're on the train. You know, I'm just not really sure. Obviously, I think that Sirius is going to be really upset. Mm -hmm. Maybe not upset that he's Slytherin, but I think Sirius is going to have a big problem with... Yeah, I mean... Harry's attitude. Yeah, with Harry in general. I don't think he'll love Harry any less. Or I I remember thinking at this point that he's not going to kill Harry. No, I don't think... Sirius is Sirius, and Sirius loves Harry because he's his godfather. And because of James. But I think that Sirius and Remus are going to be really horrified bothered they're going to be very bothered by what's happened to harry just even for the sake of james and lily because they're going to be thinking of him as james and lily's son Mm -hmm. and obviously they have no real idea what happened to him with the dursleys to make him be more muggle hating at this point but i think that they're going to be very horrified so i don't know how he's going to spin that because obviously the malfoys are very important to harry and Obviously, Lucius doesn't confirm that Sirius was a Death Eater. He just says, well, if he was, I didn't know about it. Yeah. But any of the, you know, yeah, something like that wouldn't be surprising, how, knowing how right, things work. You know, because we didn't know anything about anything going on anyway. You know, yeah. but I wasn't sure if I bought that. I think that was just... You Lucius think Lucius right? knows he's not a Death Eater? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think he does. Really? That's how I felt. Interesting. I hadn't heard that Interesting. That's how you I think felt. Canon too, or just in this fic? And that might just be me reading too much into Lucius from Canon and knowing how influential he was in the inner circle. So, you, do you think Lucius and Canon knew that Sirius wasn't a Death Eater? Wasn't a Death Eater? Yeah. 
Interesting. I, I, I always, I never actually thought that myself. I actually think Lucius says here is pretty accurate that that's the sort of thing. I don't think he knew Peter Pettigrew was a Death Eater before. Yeah, I, I, I don't think anybody knew about Peter, which makes me think. I just didn't think that they would think that Sirius was because of Regulus. Well, I think they'd probably be like, oh my god, wow, this is kind of shocking. But I think they kind of bought the propaganda. Put it this way, if any of them had known that Wormtail was really a Death Eater, I think they would have seen one of them give it up as evidence. They were all trying to save their necks. Yeah. And if, and if that was the case, that would have... But I see, logic. but I, I just saw Regulus as one of the normal grunts. You know, he wasn't anybody in particularly special. He just figured something out and ended up getting killed for it. But right. if Sirius was a Death Eater, I saw him being along the ranks of his brother, and to me, if I would assume that Lucius would have been higher up than him. I wouldn't have assumed that Sirius... You know, I don't know, just like because... Snape, though, wouldn't he have? He would have been like Snape or Barty Crouch Jr. Sort of the yeah, spy. I, right, I think, I think Voldemort would have been careful with his spies. Like, I think even Lucius wouldn't have known about any spies. Because I don't think Voldemort trusted his followers more than he had. I don't think he trusted them with anything that he didn't feel they had to know, basically. I just didn't really think that Lucius thought that Sirius was part of the Death Eaters. You could be right. I mean, just, you know, there's no proof really either way. It's all And that's just, you know, that's just me. We all read it different. We all interpret it differently. Yeah, I mean, there's no evidence either way, really. It's just kind of how you... I read but I am interested to see how it goes because obviously Remus still has to find out that, that Sirius is innocent. Yep. We know nothing about Wormtail or whether he's even there. Well, we know you at know. least by year one that Ron has the rat because the rat still bites. Is it Crab or Goyle? I can't. Whatever one it is, he bites. He oh, bites yeah. them in year so one. At least he's there. Year three. That just happened. Oh, just happened. Um, yeah. So at, at some point they're bit by the rat. So Ron definitely has the rat. We know that in year three. I probably was reading too fast at that point. I was trying to get finished up for the podcast. That's why I'm saying is like, you know, I have to keep reading because I'm interested on, on where he goes with this. In some ways, I think Sirius could see Harry as a, almost the inverse of him. Like here's, like Sirius is this person from this long line of, of Slytherin's sort of pure blood bias to Bucks' his family and he goes to Gryffindor and Harry's this guy from a long line of Gryffindor, we assume a long line anyway, of Gryffindors who Bucks that and joins the pure blood society. So, you know. And I also think that it's interesting now that Jenny is part of the group. Yeah. Yep. Yes. And, it's, and she's part of uh, the last chapter. I've read this like like six times. Is it the last chapter when um, he bribes the second year Slytherin girls to take in Ginny as one yeah. of their own? And I think that's interesting because it's putting a... Because up until then, Ginny was sort of having the role that Ginny does in year six, where she's sort of part of the group. And this is kind of like a little bit of a distance again. Like, you know, not that she's not... She does have a role in the rest of the story, but she's more... She's not like, you know, the inner group. She's more like... right. I don't know, like Harry's years, like the like an expanded trio, and then Ginny's sort of like the role she had in canon, only in Slytherin a little bit. Right. So I have to, you know, I'm real interested to see where Ginny goes with that. Yeah. Because I love Ginny. Mm-hmm. And I love Ginny and Harry. I really think I'm sure and I'm, 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 I'm setting myself I'm, up for disappointment, but I really, really want this to wind up Harry Ginny. Well, I think I'm, it's either Harry Ginny or Harry Blaze. I think it has to, it's going to wind up one of those two, personally. I'm shipping Harry Ginny right at this moment. She's the girl for him. <laughs> so I have to find out if that's true, which is probably not even even written yet so i have no idea but yeah year three is like the year of love love triangles and like harry being a hormonal stick his foot in his mouth kind of idiot (laughs) when it comes to girls that's my interpretation i don't know if omelie yeah i mean harry's pretty clueless that that blaze has got it bad so i'm interested to find out when exactly he does find out that her touchy-feely is more than (laughs) yeah hit him over the head 
Yeah, yeah. Because he obviously at this point doesn't realize that she's head over heels. And I have a quick question. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm really interested in Harry Ginny in general. In Mythic, where we've talked about, Ginny is pretty true to form in terms of she has got the personality that we know Harry is attracted to, right? Right, right. And and Death Row can go with with it where he'd like to. Since we know Ginny is pretty canon-like, but Harry has made some significant shifts. It's going to be, I think, through Harry's end and how he's come to change from the canon. Which, do you think there's any character Characteristics there that may become more problematic than they were in the canon, or not? Hmm, that's interesting. I can't see them Obviously. being as open, right? Not open about the relationship, but open about like I, I don't know. It just seems maybe I'm wrong, but I can't see like sort of the uh, half blood prince scene where like Harry like storms in and like sees Jimmy's face and like sweeps her off her feet and kisses her in front of everyone. That just doesn't seem sort of slithering as Death Row portrays it. Maybe I don't know if you agree with me. Like I think they'd be more private. No, I, I don't think that. it would. I don't think it's going to wind up like that. I think it would be more like them sort of slowly. I still believe that one of the things that drew Harry and Ginny together, even in canon, and I think that it's going to work that way in this story, if I had to guess, is that Harry's going to start wondering at some point about Voldemort and his scar and how much his past has to do with who he is at that point. And Ginny spent a year with Tom in her body, so they're going to have something about that in common. Because I think we're, because I think we're going to get to the point, because we have to at some point, because we're, I mean, he's about to start writing year four, or he is writing year four, that at some point Voldemort has to be introduced into this scenario somehow. Yeah. You know, and it's, and, it's fitting that he's not yet, because in canon he's not up until book four either, really. No, right? but at some point Harry's going to have to start to wonder about some of the bad aspects of yeah. who Lord Voldemort was and if he was affected. Like I can definitely see. Harry and Ginny having the conversation where Ginny tells what it was like to be possessed and where Ginny tells what her family has always told her about what life was like during the war. Or even that, just like in, in book five, that, that lucky Ginny, you, like, you know, you know lucky like, you, who the hell are you, you know, thinking that you're alone in all of this because you're not. And, <laughs> and that's the part of Ginny's character that is the reason that I love her is because she doesn't have a problem putting him in his spot. And I think that the girls in Slytherin at this point are all, oh, Harry, oh, Harry. And they're, <laughs> they're all touchy-feely. But Jenny's not really all that. She may have a crush on him, but, you know, she grew up with boys. And so she's not going to be all that with his attitude, you know, and she's already I, willing to put him in his place. And so I think that Harry, I think Harry would be more attracted to that because he's not up on the simpering female thing. As he gets older, I would picture maybe. it to be what I kind of imagine it is, is just like you say about maybe is these girls in Slytherin and even the guys are, are going to have to deal with the fact that when Voldemort does come back in Goblet of Fire, when Harry comes back from the graveyard, depending on where Death Earl chooses to take that part, there's probably going to be a point where the, the Slytherins aren't sure how to handle Harry and it's going to be Ginny whose opinion isn't shifted of him. Yeah, I think that's where, where the whole Harry-Ginny thing you know, gets... Like, I can picture them at the end of Goblet of Fire, Harry is just come back from the graveyard. The other Slytherins are real wary of approaching him because the whole Death Eater thing, but Ginny is the one who mm-hmm. stands by him. I was going to slightly change the topic, so you should go first if you have anything more on Harry, Ginny. No, no. 
I just, that's how I can see it happening. You know, I think characteristically, yes, he's he's a lot more arrogant and he's a lot more Draco-ish. But I also see Jenny, her brothers were that way. So she handled them. And I'm just interested to see how it happens because I can still see how they could get together. Ew, Jen, does this mean we would like Draco Ginny? I do like some Draco Ginny fix. Oh my god, did I admit that on the podcast? <laughs> yes, you did, Jen. I think I'm also going to title. Harry's a cross-dresser and Jen too likes Draco. Um, I've, I've got some fire and... No, that, yeah, that's fire and ice. Is that what it used to be called? Actually, you know what? Listening to you guys talk, up until this podcast, I didn't much care for the idea of Harry and Janine in this spec. Listening to you talk, I'm like, okay, I, I can see that working and actually making sense. Oh my god, no. This is even bigger than Jen too likes Draco. This is Mike ships Harry Ginny. Oh, no, I, I don't ship Harry. Let's not, let's not pin things oh, on. Oh, yes. You just said you did. No. Just, no. He just said he could see it in this fic. Yeah, that yeah, let's not, you know, it's he not could, I, yeah, I I think that, that Mike is being gracious and saying that, that he can see it just because I just explained to him why. Yeah. Like, because you know as a Harry Jenny as a Harry Jenny shipper, I don't ship Harry Jenny because of some of the more annoying. stupid fandom yeah. annoying Harry Jenny. I ship them because I think that they understand each other on an emotional level, and that's the reason why they make a good couple. Yeah, like what I meant is that you know, up when I when I read this fic right up until when Jen talked, I thought the logical pairing to me seemed like it was Blaze and Harry, and that's sort of how it was being set up. But then listening to you talk here, I'm like, okay, that makes sense to me. I can see... Because if you notice, you notice from his point of view thus far, and I can totally be eating all my words, you know, at a later date, as much as Blaze makes a huge deal over him. I mean, so far, from what I've read, Harry, he's not picking up on any of that. I think Blaze is, to some Degree. She's Hermione-ish. I was going to say. No, I thought she was. I thought she. I didn't. I didn't. I don't necessarily think that she's like Cho. Like I think the Harry Cho like relationship is different than the Harry Blaze one. But I think that the same. Like it's. I'm just seeing introduce this early because it's not the final ship. Well, what I will say with this, without going too much into detail, what happens later in this fic is that I think. Death Thrill very much, as opposed to a lot of other fics I've read, dealing with Harry's romantic life at the age of 13 and 14 and 15 in Hogwarts, he captures a lot more what it's I canon mean, is completely unrealistic. Canon, but I'm thinking even other fan fiction, which are mostly written by women, in all honesty. And maybe it's just my own experience, but at least from my perspective, Death Row writes it a lot more realistically in terms of how Harry views his relationships and how he sort of gets into them in the sense that he's kind of like all yes, over the place. He's just kind of like all over the place, like hormones one way, one way the other. And he's not like at this, at age 13, I don't think that the 99% of guys are capable of deep relationships. You're just well, kind I'm, not of, thinking, I'm not saying it's deep. I'm just saying that at this point, for the last two years, Blaze has done nothing but hang on him. Or I'm, you know, I'm, at some I'm, point, I'm at some point, he would start to recognize that, hey, this chick is hanging on me. Oh no, I agree with you. No, what, no, what, no, what, what I'm, I'm saying is that is, um, because Blaze is being shown like this whole time, I don't think Harry Blaze is going to be the final ship because because she's been there the whole I just, time. I just viewed it as he felt like it was more of a sisterly, platonic friend, trio-ish kind of 
relationship for him that he just never really even thought of her that way at all. Well, I guess, I guess the thing that's different there is that you're saying that it's like Hermione, that she's like Hermione, but Hermione didn't have a crush on Harry. Well, let me put it this way. I have things I want to say, but I don't want to say anything that happens for the next podcast. When you finish reading this, Jen, are you on the next podcast, Jen, too? No, I don't think so. Well, still, I would like to share some thoughts. I will, I will, when I finish reading this, I will... Skype I will Skype record you. A vo- you should record a voicemail. Yeah, you should. You should definitely record a voicemail. Yeah. Like, if, if you can't get on the next one, either, I mean, obviously, just be like, because I know Brian only put you on one because you didn't like the story, so. No, he did, it wasn't that. It's just, be, I think, when we talked about okay. the schedule, we, we okay. talked about me being on every other week rather than every week because, you know, of my toddlerish issues. I was only saying just because if you wanted to be on next week, we could totally swing it, but not if you don't want to. Anyway, I was going to say, yeah, I mean, actually, if you want to be on next week, maybe there'll be a space, you never know. I was going to say, Oh, we've though, crammed more people in there at one point or the yeah. other. Yeah. I, I feel like I keep coming in, and I'm not thrilled, though. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, some flashpoints I see coming ahead, though, on the topic, because that was the other thing you got me thinking, is what things coming down the line. Which I know it's something I've thought a lot about this fic, and one of them we touched on is obviously which way do the Slytherins go, and the other thing I honest, there's two other things I think coming down the road. And one is at some point, Harry has to sit down and rationalize how his own parents fit into this sort of scheme. I mean, because because the truth is his parents are so different from the world he's living in, and especially his mother being a muggle-born, he's going to have to sort of come to terms with his own, sort of the philosophies that rub, that's rubbing off on him and Slytherin. And that's with, what I was saying earlier yeah. when I was kind of talking about the whole adopted child thing. At some point, Harry's own biology. Yeah. You know, his own genetic. It's going to hit him at some point. It almost has to, because I think that every adopted child, I'm no expert. I've done a lot of research, talked to a lot of adoptees in my journey with Elizabeth. But at some point, I think every child who's grown up away from their natural parents starts to question who they are in relationship to their parents. And now that he's going to meet Sirius and Ramus, I think that's going to have to start becoming an issue for him. He's going to start questioning his identity and who he really is. Because innately, he is pretty Gryffindor. You know, he has, he still has some of those, of those traits. He still rushes in. He's still being noble, saving people. But he is exhibiting his Slytherin too. So I think he's going to find himself caught. And the other flashpoint I see coming down the line somewhere is if you take, and I think this is the case, that I think what's going to end up happening is you're, you're going to try to have Harry and some of the Slytherins. I, I don't know for sure whether it'll be the parents too, whether it'll be like Mr. Knott and Lucius Malfoy, but at least the, his age group, maybe, I, I think so. I, I can't imagine, for instance, Lucius Malfoy at this point trying to kill Harry. I, I, think, that, I think, but I would say Lucius is the only one who is exempt. Like, I wouldn't... Mr. Like, Knott too. I could see, no, I, I, don't, I could see somebody, some of the like less important parents turning on him. You know, well, the thing, like, too, is, though, if the kids are siding with Harry, how many parents are going to be willing to fight their kids as well? As like, some of them, like, I, I don't I think... I wonder if Goyles. there's not going to be a betrayal among the kids. A betrayal, maybe, but I think most of them will stick with Harry. Yeah, probably. And I think, I think we're going to try to have... I think they're going to try to have sort of this third way. Like, you know, there's the Order and Dumbledore way, there's the Voldemort way, and then there's sort of, like, this Slytherin third way. But the thing I see as a 
Flashpoint is you wonder how is Harry going to be interacting with the Order of the Phoenix and Dumbledore. I don't think he's ever going to like Dumbledore because of this diverging background, but can Harry succeed without Dumbledore as an ally? And can Dumbledore succeed without Harry as an ally? And how are sort of you going to merge the Order of the Phoenix, which you would think every single friend of Harry's probably hates every single person in the Order of the Phoenix from like top to bottom. And, uh, this Harry probably will dislike a lot of them. So how do they sort of, those two things come together is what I'm interested yeah, to see. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, it's a shame that it's not, the years aren't farther along. Yeah. But- and the one other thing I'd be curious to hear Jen's thoughts on is my interpretation, I wonder if you share this, is that just like the Slytherins are clearly changing Harry and changing Harry's nature through these first three stories, that it is to a certain extent working the other way. That the Slytherins we see in year three are both different from what they would have been if they'd never met Harry. And you see a change from year one to year three in how they act and how they go about their lives a little bit. Not as radical maybe as Harry, but you still see it. No, I see that. I recognize that. That I, even though Draco was an arrogant bastard at times, that having Harry questioning his behavior has made him stop to think. Mm -hmm. Because he would have never stopped to think about that before. And like he, it's just the fact that he has realized that Harry is a half blood. So he, you know, he's, yeah, he's having to think about that and justify that in his mind, you know, why the ability is more important. Just like even just planting the seed in his mind where he's realized he's made the conscious realization at least once that Harry's a half blood. And it that, might, yeah. Or see, that might even having a friend as close as Harry is. Like I get the sense not that he's not friends with not Timothy and he's not friends with Crab and Goyle. Misfit, but there's not, it's sort of like the difference between um, Harry Ron and Harry Neville, almost. Or I, I, maybe not quite that extreme, but you get but sort I, of I get, I, I get what you mean, and it's like, if you can like imagine an AU of They Shook Hands, where Harry was sorted into Gryffindor, and you had just like, <laughs> the Slytherins without Harry, like, would they be all this close, do you think? Because I know in canon, it's like Dra- it seems like Draco, Crab, and Goyle are like a trio relationship, and then Pansy and the girls are friends. Yeah, you know, I, you know, I don't know. Like I think definitely Nas a lot closer to Harry than he is the Draco, and Blaze in general are a lot closer to Harry than the other Draco. Like not, I love when Nas makes fun of Draco, doesn't he? At one point, he's doing a little Draco impression. Yeah, that's like, what that's what that's what I'm getting at. That if Harry weren't there, they wouldn't all be friends in this big group. It would be like groups. I can honestly say at this point, if they weren't thirteen, I. I would just tell Tim and Pansy to get it over with and go shag somewhere because I, I am know. just See, tired Tim, of them fighting. Tim and Pansy are even more than Ron and Hermione, I think. Oh, yeah. They're they're <laughs> way more over the top. You know, it's just like, would you two just do each other and get it over with? <laughs> yeah, oh, even if you don't, Even if you don't stay together, just... Get it out of your system because I'm <laughs> like that's that's those are my those are like the big ships in this fic. It's I ship Harry, Jenny, and I ship Tim and Panda. I do kind of hope that they do it. I just wish they would get it over sooner than later. <laughs> <laughs> I like annoying. their insults. They're like a troll ogre. Yeah, it's it's, it's like bad foreplay. It's bad foreplay, but I'm tired of it. You know, <laughs> it's I, pigtail pulling, is what it is. No, 
it's worse than that. Yeah. <laughs> Pigtail pulling is nice compared to this. Okay, man. Yeah, any we last thoughts? Don't we? Brian has he has no faith in us whatsoever. He's going to listen to this podcast tomorrow, and he's going to be rocking. I'm yeah. not going to lie. I was thinking of asking Ryan this afternoon, "Do you want me or Jen in the lead?" And Mike just rocketed out of the gate, and he did it. And he did an admirable job. Oh, well, thank you. You did do a good job, Mike. <laughs> I've been looking forward to Jen two on this podcast for like three weeks. I have to admit. <laughs> Well, did, did I live? Did I live up to your expectations? You lived up to my expectations because I knew you would have. We would have very interesting discussion with you on, and like a new kind of perspective. I, I'm very glad you were on this podcast. I, I have to say that even though when I read things that are out of my comfort zone, I and I may snark them, I, I always try to find the good parts in them too. You know, and I was able to put my snarkiness aside to find it. Oh no! I mean, you were very like. I don't think anyone could have any complaints with how you because because honestly, the whole idea of Harry and Draco being friends is shudder worthy for me. <laughs> but you know, I'm I will give props to to Death Roll where they're due. He's portrayed it. I think this is the dark side well. of fandom, Jen. Welcome to it. <laughs> Well, you know, I just have never admitted the actual number of Snemione or Draco Jennies or... Denise, is that what they're called? Denise? Or Dramionies or... I've never really admitted my bad girl side of the fandom. This is... I find this fascinating. Everybody I mean, like, thinks, you know, I am a bad... Harry Jenny, wow. but... Is, is there any name for us? I don't know. <laughs> oh, we're going to out you on the podcast, Jen. Jen likes Draco I, I won't, I won't say that I read a lot of it, but you get in certain moods and you're not going to find. You know what I think, Jen? You, won't, you don't find that squeaky clean fanfic beach read. Well, I've read, read Harry Ginny that's not squeaky clean. I've read Harry Ginny where they shag like bunny. <laughs> well, Jen, too, you know what I think? I think to Slytherin House, this is as big a revelation as P.S. being a uh, Harry Ginny shipper. You think? Yeah. <laughs> Jen likes Draco. I don't know. Well, no, Jen likes the bad boys. Yeah, Draco's a, excuse me, Jen's a, a Draco and, I don't know, Snape fan, maybe? Lucius? Lucius fan I or Lucius I, fan I, I, I haven't read. I haven't read any Lucius fix. I will admit that. It's all been Snape or Draco. Look at that, but Snape, you're a slither, you're a closet Slytherin girl. Yay! And they're, and they're all, honestly, they're pretty much all hard R fix that I <laughs> Of course they are. <laughs> Really I, I, I can just, I can just believe Draco ravaging someone. I don't really want to think about that. Actually, I have a non-R stick. I will, I'll give you a link later, Jen. It's not okay. shipped, but it's, it's a, not Ron and Pansy. Is it one you made me no, read, Mike? Which one? It's, is it's it? in blood. I'm gonna get her to read in blood only. Is that the one where um, Lucius comes into Harry's room? Yes, but I don't it's know not. Why. It's not slash know. though. It's, it's I don't like, know. No, for some reason, and I know it's not, but it's just like for some reason that's the scene that like stands out in my mind. Harry was hiding and Lucius came in. He wasn't hiding. He was sleeping. And Lucius, which I guess is scarier in a sense. Like, eyes, <laughs> there's like Lucius. <laughs> Like Lucius just like appears in his bedroom. Well, no, it's, 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 what it is. What it is is that he was, uh, he was so hiding because Lucius wasn't supposed to know he was there. No, he wasn't hiding. Well, no, no. At that point, the point when Lucius goes into his bedroom, Lucius knows he's there. The point being, he wasn't supposed to talk to Harry. Harry's staying at Snape's house, and and Lucius comes to visit Snape, and Snape has to keep his cover. So like Harry's not looking like Harry, and he's to get too much weight. Be basically in quotes in disguise. Lucius is thinking he's this pure blood relative. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember. 
complicated. But basically, it's like Lucius is interacting with Harry, and Harry can't give away that he's Harry, and Snape can't kick Lucius out because then it would blow his cover. But he's like totally freaked out that you Lucius. Know, you make it sound like this could be like a sitcom or something, like Snape, <laughs> Snape and Lucius, like and Harry. It's like, like living in the house. Anyway, though, any final thoughts before we go off? I don't think so. Once, twice, thrice. All right. We, we like kind of we kind of treated it as like the last episode because we made all these predictions. <laughs> oh, there's one more episode coming. Uh, well, I just I guess- hope I live. I hope I lived up to to Mike and PS's expectations. Because I was so scared. I'm like, I'm going to go on and I'm going to make a big ass out of myself. You met my expectations and surpassed them, Jen, too. Great. I'm glad. I am glad. I think we had a great discussion tonight. Yep. And we even have a funny moment. Which is, this is We haven't gone off topic at all. This one, at least we have our... Yeah, uh, I, felt like, I felt like this series is lacking for... Crazy yeah, Ryan, Ryan won't have any bowling balls to drop into this one. <laughs> so I think we, that's why we needed Harry's penis tape. His pants. Yeah. <laughs> and Harry... For the good of the podcast, Harry needed to take <laughs> and leave it to Gen Two to bring it up. Oh, my, my mind is so scarred. What about? Well, you're the one who's like, do you think what kind of underwear do you think Draco wears? <laughs> oh, he's boxers. Draco's okay. all boxers. Why don't we say good night? <laughs> <laughs> Mike, see ya, Mike. We all want to talk about underwear it, some more. Hope <laughs> you how Mike is made uncomfortable by men's underwear. No, it's just a, I just—I mean, I'm okay. comfortable. You're talking about taping penises. That makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> you don't even want to think about tape. I just—I'm sorry. I, I'm bad at this, but I always find it funny how sensitive guys are about this. It's like um, laser hair removal. <laughs> Like, I was one time talking to my friend, and, like, somehow it came, I think it was on television, about a guy who had gotten laser hair removal down there, and it was just so Uh, funny to, like, see him (laughs) react to the idea of... (laughs) The whole idea idea of it is just crazy. Hey, if you can do a Brazilian, you can do laser removal, I'm sure. Not down there. That's what I mean. That's what a Brazilian is, sweetie. A laser down there, they don't want tape down there. Oh, they don't want anything touching it. I don't see Draco wearing anything constricting. He lets it, does he, he likes it to flat Would you like me to leave the room and leave you guys alone to fantasize? (laughs) (laughs) I think Draco wears it right. Okay. I've been married for way too long. <laughs> oh boy. I have to remember this is not smuts giving. Close enough. Dang. It's, it's nice. All right. So, are we done? Yeah, we're we're done, I think. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, um mm-hmm. yeah, it's like midnight already, so I want to go to sleep. So, I'll see you guys around. Bye, Bye everybody. Bye. So hold on to the wonder that those books brought to our Keep each other safe. Keep faith. Good night.